0: absolutely anything that's on your mind the number here is 603-283-6160 that's 603-283-6160 here tonight it's in aria and mark there yes and we also have mark from some other location that he doesn't want to reveal uh welcome back to the <laughs> show mark always good to have you here uh, I know that uh, you want to talk about the apparently one trillion dollar defense budget, and I think we can get into that. Let's go ahead and, you know, resolve
1: to call it a military budget.
0: Good point. Because Thank very you for little that. of what yeah. the
1: military, the U.S. military, does is defensive. defense.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. We can talk about that. Plus, uh, Arya, you've got a story about secession as well, which is probably the only legitimate solution to a one trillion dollar uh, military budget. But uh in other I guess related news there was something in here about Americans uh, finally changing their views on the US invasion of Iraq. So it's kind of a related story RT.com reporting on it that 20 years after the invasion public opinion about the conflict has finally reversed and most believe that it made the US less safe.
1: Well see I still don't think they're right. I don't think it had any impact whatsoever. On our safety
0: oh yeah it does sure if you go over and you start killing people in another country there's a good chance somebody's going to come in like blow up the boston marathon or something like that you know those sorts of things do have any of
1: these terrorists cited the invasion of iraq though as their reason i know afghanistan was a big reason and obviously that's the reason that uh or Daesh, however you want to call them was in syria and iraq but i'm not sure that any terrorism actually occurred in america i'm not sure that americans were Really impacted very much in so far as it affected Americas at all, I absolutely agree that it would have made Americas less safe and not more safe, but whatever impact there was, I think must have been very, very minor
0: well, I mean, considering the amount of killing that the United States has done in the Middle East in the last however many decades. There's been minor impacts, right? Like, I mean, there was okay. some planes that got crashed into some buildings 20 years ago, but certainly by no means has there been an equivalent amount of damage done over here, right? Like for the half a million people or a million or whatever it was. I don't know. There, there's an Iraq body count out there. I don't know what it It was half a
1: million, million when I was in high school, I believe.
0: Yeah. So, like—
2: well- so it's uh, very difficult to to put numbers on this, but uh, a, and a couple of NGOs recently released a, port, a report that said two hundred thousand for uh, dead in Iraq. So yeah, it looks like know.
0: IraqBodyCount.org, dot org. It's saying the documented civilian deaths from the violence of the the military is. 186 to 210,000.
1: Okay, and we so, can assume that's probably half of what was actually killed. I would assume that the military's official body count was around half, at best, of what it was supposed to be.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure where the documentation comes from in that in that case, but there's a good chance that the actual number is certainly much higher. So, at a minimum, uh, 200,000 is, uh, is the case. And what was there, like, maybe a few thousand, several thousand maximum that died on, on 9-11. So, like... Those numbers are not even close to to the same.
1: It's It's extraordinarily disproportionate. I mean, it's basically the equivalent of punching someone and in retaliation, they murder you and your entire family. Yeah. And you know, we, well, American, hold on, 3, Wait a second. I it's, want to it's clarify like, real quick though, Mark. 3, it's like American, getting punched Mark, hold on. and I'm then
2: going for, and murdering a different family.
1: Before everyone out on the internet gets pissed off at me, I want to clarify 3,000 people died on 9-11 and that sucks. And I'm not trying to minimize that, but that's
2: not justification for going out and killing 500,000 people. 500,000 people who are different. Right. Like just because they happen to share vaguely the same religion doesn't make it okay, any more than if a handful, a passel of uh, Christians go out and do something that makes somebody unhappy that they come over to the United States and they kill off a bunch of Christians. It doesn't make any sense. No, it's completely disproportionate. So, uh,
0: you know, I'm not calling for proportionate violence here, but it's just simply an observation of, yeah, the U.S. government has managed to invade so many different places and kill so many different people. And the actual blowback, it can happen and it has happened, but it has never been proportional. And that's probably because it takes a lot of effort to cross the uh, the ocean. Right. And, and you know, find the people who are willing to do that kind of a job and whatever the necessary steps that need to be taken to do something like a nine eleven or relatively complex, whatever you believe about 9-11. That's a whole other story. I'm not interested in getting into that because I will say just briefly on that. I don't believe 9-11 happened the way the government said it did.
1: I don't believe it's possible for 9-11 to have happened yeah. the way the government said it did. But that's that's as far as I want to go. I know what the government said about it
0: isn't true. But Ron Paul pointed out correctly when he ran for president that blowback is a thing. Is not so, that the
1: cause of 9-11 was blowback from U.S. Yes, intervention?
0: Yes, absolutely. That's what uh, Osama bin Laden said. He said that you know the reason they did this was because of what they've been doing in the in the Middle East. So you know, their solution— yeah,
2: it either is what's going on in the Middle East, or you have this convoluted thought that uh, it's because Muslims hate America, Coca Cola, and Britney Spears, right? Like, none of it really, there's no cohesive thought to it. Um, and certainly, there are probably Amans that talk about Britney Spears and Coca Cola. I don't have any idea.
1: Yeah, but there are but, Christian
2: pastors who talk
1: about that, too. And I don't think that oh, means yeah. they want to, you know, bomb America. Mm-hmm. Nope. I know Muslim imams. and while they take, you know, issue with some of the some of the propaganda being put out there by the media and by the left in general, and you know the nakedness of Britney Spears or whatever, because they these religious people of all religions they do tend to be more conservative. I've yes. never met a single Muslim who was interested in initiating violence against anyone else.
0: They are out there. I'm they sure just, there are. You don't know them. I
1: said I've never met them.
0: And the Christians generally won't admit to supporting violence, even though at the same time they do rah-rah the, the U.S. military. So, uh, so here's a takeaway from this RT story. Uh, two decades after the U.S. invaded Iraq, a majority of Americans have now realized the war was a mistake, according to an Axos-Ipsos poll uh, released this week, while two-thirds of Americans approved of the military action in 2003— When it happened, 61% now believe it was the wrong decision. When the U.S. ground invasion of Iraq began March 20th of 2003, just 26% of respondents to a Pew poll at the time opposed military action to overthrow Saddam Hussein's government. Now, Mark, weren't you one of the ones that was uh, cheering this on back in the day and you changed your mind uh, based on what some of our listeners were, were saying?
2: Yeah. You know, I thought that, uh, you know, I'd listen to the thing and there's like um, Saddam Hussein has these uh, this terrorist training camp and, you know, there's these torture rooms and his son Khufu and Nunu are out there uh, torturing young virgins. And I mean, there were, if you'll remember, there was a whole mess of stuff being talked about back then. And and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that made sense to me. Um But, you know, over time, once you get in there, there's like, well, there's I guess there's weapons of mass destruction in so much as they found some old uh, gases um, that they might have released. But there were no nuclear weapons like Colin Powell suggested. There was no uh, cake batter or whatever the heck they were talking Yellow about. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was I don't no, think
1: there were any uh, weapons of mass destruction, agent curated or not, that were actually found. Were there? There
0: were not.
2: Yeah, there were get some gases. Um, I don't think there who were. Who gave found, them those gases, not enough to, I wonder? They, they couldn't do anything to America with them. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is all great news, people.
1: and I'm happy to hear that Americans are like, you know what, maybe that was a bad decision, but okay, let's let's take this in, let's make it part of ourselves, this change of heart that we've had, where we're like, oh, we made a mistake, and let's apply it to current situations and going forward so that we don't look back at 20 years and say, oh... I wish we hadn't gotten involved in that conflict back in 2023.
0: Don't let them do it to you again because yes. they're going to use the same tactics again and again. Right which now is it's to say Ukraine. Lie. Yeah, and they're lying about they, Ukraine. They
1: absolutely—they're saying the same stuff. Putin's got these torture camps. He's exporting children to mm-hmm. Russia. Yeah. He's torturing them. They're—they're they're playing exactly the same. He's thing. So, yeah. They're doing exactly the same song and dance they've always done. That's great. I'm glad people regret the war in Iraq now that it's over. And I mean it like actually finally is over as of Donald Trump's withdrawal from Iraq in I think 2020. But like maybe there's something to be said about being better late than never, but let's go forward with this knowledge. Let's, let's not just mm-hmm. say we learned our lesson and move on. Let's apply well, that's the, the thing. lesson.
0: They haven't learned their lesson. And so I'm going to give you another uh, little detail here from the survey. 58% of Republicans still think that US was right to invade in Iraq. Now it was 83% at the time, but 53 sorry 58% of them are still in favor of what happened. They still believe that it was the right thing to do. That's just while, insane. While at the same well, time the Republicans want you to believe that they're now critics of war, right? Like that's the new thing of like, oh, well, we're criticizing Biden, we're criticizing Ukraine, well, yeah, they're only criticizing the Democrats' war. If it was George Bush's war, then it was still A-OK.
2: Yeah, I think that this is a, a, you know sort of what you can expect and sort of what's gone on in American history for a very long time. The United States was reluctant to get into World War One, And then when it finally did, when is Woodrow true? Wilson— that true? Yes, the people were. The people, the people were. Okay, yeah. yeah. So a, a large percentage of the U.S. population. You can't say that um, the United States, because the United States is nothing, right? It's dirt. Well, the United um, States politicians were eager to get into
1: World War One, and this, from what I can tell, they did everything they could to get the U.S. into World War One.
0: That's 100% World war II, true, but, yeah.
2: Aria Politicians love war because it's good for them. But and that's Wilson what, uh, was sort elected sort of, on it a... It speaks prompt. to the, um, the show prep that I brought in today But, but Wilson, Wilson was, on,
1: was sent out there on purpose as bait well, filled with munitions, and they, they knew you, that the... Okay. That so. the Germans would think that it was, you know, a, a, carrying munitions and stuff. I mean, they intentionally did this, and it had passengers on it. Right. they knew that they were. Well, I don't know if it's
2: intentional there. or not. But the um, what ship was that? The uh, the Lusitania. I forgot the Lusitania. Thank you. Um, the Lusitania, you know, had some passengers on it. It had some munitions. It, you know, had a mixed role and all that stuff. I, I don't look at the United uh, States as issue in this is bad it's just that it wasn't good right like um you know the the notion out there was they just sunk a passenger ship and if they did that by accident that's still not a reason for a war i don't know and, that, that that becomes pretty close i I don't support
1: any war right i just want to get that out of the way but that does come pretty close to what you know through history has been called i think casus belli is the term justified war essentially
2: what, in, what a, Just a few years ago, there was a, a flight from Norway that was, or excuse me, from Netherlands that was shot down by the, maybe the Eastern Ukrainian forces, maybe the Russian forces. We're not entirely sure. It's very murky as to who might have done it and who didn't. But, um, you know, I don't support invading, you know, you, the NATO and uh, invading Russia over this very sad thing. Now, um, there's probably some ways to handle this but it's not i don't think it's war
1: well, I don't support any sort of—I mean, I don't support any sort of retaliation in general. I find that forgiveness is turning the other cheek is a better approach to this, anyway. Okay, mm-hmm. they shot—they destroy one of our passenger ships. You know that's horrible, but let's forgive them and move forward and work together in peace and love and forgiveness and compassion instead of enmity and revenge.
0: Just put some more men with guns on the other passenger ships. right? Yeah, that
1: doesn't seem to solve the problem. So I—I w- want to you know stress that I don't think there's any sort of justified war, and I don't think that NATO should have invaded Russia or. The United States should have gotten involved in World War One, but There, there shouldn't
0: even be a NATO at this point.
1: Right. There is this concept that I can sympathize with, even if I don't agree with it, that some wars are justified, that a war can be justified.
0: In theory, but I would think it should only be a defensive war. Yeah. Right.
1: I, I suspect that's one of the one of the main tenets of what is a justified war. I don't know the terms.
0: Well, it depends who you ask. I mean, there's plenty of people that would justify war for all kinds of reasons, going over True. to other countries. But from I thought there was
1: a defined concept, though, that someone the just
0: war. Yeah,
2: I don't know what the, how the, those people would I will define look it, it. I suspect yeah, if you've the been attacked, the notion by... is is if you've been attacked, you can defend yourself. Um, now, the question is, where did you defend yourself to? Do you defend yourself to your borders? Do you defend yourself to the next nation's capital? Um, where Where is it, mm-hmm. and how is it done? Um, And, you know, these are interesting questions. Ian, I would say that I probably disagree with the um, statement that there should be no NATO. Uh, I mean, it's possible that we could because there's been no NATO country that's attacked a NATO country. And it's possible we could grow this organization until we have this sort of um, one world military that no longer has anyone to fight. Why would you want to
0: have a one world military? I mean, you know, it's not that's never going to happen. Number one, not every political designation on the planet is going to agree to join the same military force. Uh, There's always going to be people, whether it be China or Russia or whatever, that want to have their own power and they don't want to cede any of it to the United States
2: government, nor should they uh, necessarily. So, I mean, it's a ridiculous uh, belief. Russia's already asked to join NATO. But were they being serious or
1: were they being facetious knowing that NATO wouldn't allow them to join?
2: Well, um, there's two different circumstances about which I'm speaking. In one case, they actually asked, and that was around 1948 or something like that. They should have
0: been allowed to join at that point, Right.
2: Well, and this is, and herein lies the problem with an organization like NATO. Its purpose is to fight against Russia. So um, because it has this purpose, it then attempts to meet out that purpose. I
0: think it was to fight the Soviet Union, wasn't it? Fine. And shouldn't it have been, I mean, by its own
2: creation, shouldn't it have been destroyed after the Soviet Union went down? I, I think the Soviet Union came back in the form of Vlad- Vladimir Putin.
0: But it's not communism.
2: Well, it never really was communism. It's just, Tell that to uh, the millions please. of people who were put to death in the gulags. What, that it wasn't communism? Yeah, tell them that. It looks. I I can tell them whatever I want. Um, What I'm saying is is that it was a different criminal organization, and now it's the criminal organization that basically is Putin and his friends. Well, I'll give you that. So
0: is NATO as a criminal organization as well, of a bunch of other criminals uh, around the world. I mean, the communist. soviet union was at least overtly saying it was communist and the people were certainly dying of uh things that typically happen to communists of like starvation and you know malnutrition and things like that so and they were putting all the people who weren't communists and a lot of the people who supposedly were communists in gulags and working them to death (laughs) killing them so like it was definitely uh you know looks like communism smells like (laughs) communism
2: (laughs) Well, I would say – I'd argue that communism isn't possible on planet Earth. And okay, it was you're the talking Union about of Soviet communism. Socialist yeah. Republics. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're and think, so yeah. one could argue that it's socialism. Okay. I, I, would, I would certainly concede that.
0: Well, I think they called themselves the Communist Party. I get what you're saying. I you're, think they did. You're saying that the uh, the ideal of communism, the where everyone is equal, that can never the, exist. The, and the I anarchy of
2: the, the Democrats call themselves Democratic, but they certainly didn't want to see um, Bernie Sanders run. Right. And the Republicans seem to care about republics, but they certainly didn't want Ron Paul to have a chance to be voted on by the people.
0: No doubt. No doubt about it. All right. So let's see what else do you need to know about this. So in addition to 83 percent of Republicans favoring the invasion of iraq back then in 2003 now down to 58 percent
1: look and that's how you know the the public discourse in the united states is broken it's been broken pretty much my entire life it's this is not a new thing that this enmity that humans have or americans have toward one another their inability to have a rational Conversation about any particular issue. 80% of Republicans agreeing on this one particular issue, that should never, ever happen on any issue. You take a thousand libertarians and ask them a question, you're not going to get 80 something percent of agreement on just about any question unless it's something super basic.
0: I would hope hope 80% of libertarians agreed that they shouldn't go to war.
1: Right. Well, that would be a super basic thing, right?
0: At the time, it was, by the way, 52% of Democrats in 2003 who opposed the the invasion. That number has shrunk to 26%. So today, it's 58% of Republicans still justifying the invasion and 26% saying it was a, a good idea.
1: I would love to hear from these Republicans who feel like it was justified. 603-283-6160. Because, sure. like... Based on everything that we've learned since, like the the complete failure to establish a, a working government to train up an Iraqi military that can hold its own, to to create a stable government, and the lack of any WMDs being found there, the, the religious fighting that's been going on ever since, the rise of ISIS, which was directly a result of the Iraq War, and how that, that fractured Syria, and now Syria is torn into, how could this possibly have been worth it? Or could, could have been a good idea.
0: I'd love to hear. I agree with you. That'd be great if somebody could call in uh, 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Let's talk to Ricky. He's in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Ricky.
3: Thank you there, Brother Ian, Sister Aria, and Brother Mark. Good to see you on the show again.
0: What's on your mind tonight,
2: Ricky? Thank you.
3: Well, it's actually Desert Storm concerning what you're saying, but a brief correction, if I may, concerning what Aria said. She mentioned about Donald Trump withdrawing from Iraq in 2020. Well, I think she meant Afghanistan. But furthermore, I have issue with what Donald Trump did anyways, because he left office in January 20 of 2021, and it left 90 days left to have this withdrawal happen. He never did explain how he was going to accomplish that you know
1: you're right i did mean cool. afghanistan but, but let's and you know i want to get you to make sure you get your point out but i want to be clear are is the united states still involved in iraq or not cuz now no. i'm not sure
3: but No, i haven't been for a long time since No, is
1: that because barack obama said you know we're not involved in iraq but we the united states military did remain in iraq for several years after that
0: i thought they still had a few thousand troops there okay
1: so it's still ongoing then Okay.
0: Look, Yeah, it's still ongoing here. PBS.org in a post from uh, last week, so Wednesday.
1: Okay. So I was simply mistaken. I was thinking of Afghanistan.
0: There are roughly 2,500... Yeah,
3: Ricky, there, I knew what Trump said about the withdrawing, and he had 90 days left. What kind of crap is that? But What else is new? Ricky, yeah, I just want to let you well, know If you
0: don't here, set a
1: timeline, it's never going to happen. Yeah.
0: Just to clarify, Ricky, it's 2,500 U.S. troops that are uh, still in iraq according to pbs well,
3: that doesn't surprise me because we're always fiddling around but i was just looking at the invasion and stuff you but know? that's still this an ongoing invasion.
0: That's an, invasion that's an occupation invasion that's an occupation the invasion was 20 right. years ago they haven't left right. that's an occupation
1: so it's not Absolutely. accurate for you to say that the united states has been out of iraq for a long time right
2: I disagree with this notion. So um, these troops are there guarding the Iraq, uh, the U.S. embassy in Iraq. And that is, you know, that's true that for military people all over the world. I mean, there's U.S. embassies in almost every country. It says here they're scattered
0: around the country. What's that? It says here they're scattered around the country. The much stated reason for the continued U.S. troop presence is to supposedly help Iraq battle the remnants of the Islamic State insurgency and prevent any resurgence, but a key reason is Iran which uh, Iran's political influence, they say, and military strength in Iraq and throughout the region has been a recurring security concern for the U.S. over the years. And the presence of American forces in Iraq makes it more difficult, they claim, for Iran to move weapons across Iraq and Syria into Lebanon for use by its proxies, including the Lebanese Hezbollah against Israel. So it sounds like they're doing interdictions against who they consider to be Iranian uh, troops or people that are working on behalf of Iran. So, no, they are not just hanging around the embassy.
1: But even if they were, so, I think that, that ignores the point that if you need 2,500 troops to protect your embassy because the people of that country don't want you there, then you need to work to fix that diplomacy, and maybe you just don't need to have an embassy there.
0: Ricky, I know you are calling about something here, so hang on, we'll continue with you here, and, uh, of course, Mark's with us. It's Ian and Aria here on Free Talk Live. If you want to join in, 603-283-6160, especially if you still support... The invasion of Iraq from 20 years ago. We'd love to hear from you. It's Free Talk Live. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs.
4: You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important
0: issues years ago to random people tuning in on the radio.
5: I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of Liberty.
0: You can help more people hear the message of Liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com. AMPS.freetalklive.com. It is Free Talk Live. Phones are open and you can join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. There's been a shift in uh, Americans' opinions in the last two decades regarding the invasion of Iraq. The other one, the more recent one, uh, where apparently 58% now of Republicans still support it, which is down from, I think, 83%. And uh, there was a majority of Democrats who supported it previously. That is now down to about 26%. So overall, uh, I think it was around 60% of Americans are now against the invasion of Iraq in 2003. But as it turns out, uh, we, according to a PBS story that posted last week, the U.S. troops are still present. 2,500 troops are still there in Iraq And they're involved in various different missions. They're not just hanging around the green zone or whatever. They're hanging around the U.S. Embassy. They're all over the country doing, uh, according to this story from PBS, airstrikes on what they allege to be Islamic State leaders. They're conducting. Islamic
1: State, again, only exists because of the power gap created by the United States government in the invasion of Iraq in 2003.
0: Correct, and so now they're using the Islamic State as the excuse to stick around. Uh, they're supporting the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces, in battling the Islamic State.
1: No, and in battling the Syrian government, it's a three-way fight going on in Syria. Is that right? Yeah, and you know the U.S. government, the U.S. media, they like to pretend like it isn't. But in actuality, you have the Syrian government that was destabilized by the rise of ISIS, which Mm. was a direct run. ISIS has existed since 1999, at least since 1999, under Saddam Hussein. But Saddam Hussein had them under control. He... They weren't violently uprising. He, for better or worse, he had it under control. But, of course, then he lost power because of the U.S. invasion. ISIS became more powerful. They destabilized Iraq and ISIL. Islamic State of Iraq and Syria is ISIS's full name. Mm -hmm. They were like half in Syria, half in Iraq. And the only reason they had this power in the first place was because there was this gap that they rose up to fill following the collapse of the Saddam Hussein regime, which, of course, caused problems for Gaddafi in Syria. And the U.S. wanted to get involved with that. Anyway, I don't know if for those who... Was it Gaddafi? Well, anyway. Wasn't those, he the
0: one with the, the gold or whatever? He was trying to move over to gold instead of dollars or I something? I don't remember that, but him. he
1: was definitely the one who, quote, used sarin gas on his people. And the, the United States wanted to use that as justification for invading Syria. And who was it? Uh, Al Gore, I think, or one of these one of these politicians uh, made a goof and said, "Look, well, you know, if you got rid of all your chemical weapons, then then sure we wouldn't see any need to invade you." So good, he did exactly that. He surrendered mm. all of his chemical weapons to Russia instead of you know keeping them within Syria, and that took invasion off the table for the U.S. government, thankfully. And it's just been a mess ever since. But uh, didn't
0: they kill him anyway? What happened? Didn't no, he
1: he's still impa- they're still fighting for power, and he still controls a lot large part of Syria. Oh, I thought he was killed. Oh, I, I'm sorry, we're going to Gaddafi and
2: uh, um, um, and Syria here.
1: Yeah, Gaddafi Gaddafi's still alive.
2: Oh, uh, no, okay. Gaddafi's dead. I thought he was dead.
1: Well, who's the Syrian
2: guy? Um, well, I'll have to look that up real quick. Yeah. I just want if to if he's say dead, that then the... Gaddafi
1: is Libya, because there was also a Libyan thing going on. But the guy who was yeah. in charge in Syria. I don't think was ever killed, and as I understood it, he is not. He has they, not
2: been killed. They ah, were going. Okay. They,
1: he was still fighting for control of his country against ISIS and against these rebels that were also rising in the power vacuum created by the rise of ISIS.
2: Now I can't get a number of how many troops are currently in the embassy of the United States, comma Baghdad, um, but it is the largest embassy in the world at 104 acres which is breathtaking that's uh, 42 hectares for our european friends <laughs> it has a staff of almost 5000 people currently and Jeez. um that's i don't know how many troops of those 2500 which is a remarkably small amount of troops um is stationed in the embassy but i'll bet you that's it's, it's a large number and I was okay. wrong. It's
1: Assad who's in charge of
0: Syria. Assad, Gaddafi yes. was Gaddafi Libya. Was so thank you. Libya? Okay, yeah. Uh, let's go back to Ricky here. I know you were calling for some reason, Ricky. What was it tonight?
3: Yeah, thanks for holding me over, brother Ian. And I was thinking about Desert Storm, uh, and I'm going to make a quick point about that, and then I'm going to give my experience with it. And there's been lots of them. One point that people forgot over the years, it seems, when Herbert Walker Bush invaded iraq with desert storm one thing he didn't have is he didn't have something that he required he just did it he didn't have congress's approval on it he thought he was lincoln and didn't need it i guess you know and that's a problem but everybody forgot about that and all
0: presidents was- since uh world war ii have gone to war without congress's approval
1: well, doesn't the yeah, War Powers well. Act give them 80 days to command the military in a foreign nation without a declaration of war?
0: They haven't had a declaration of war since World War II. So I know, but Ar- been I, in- I thought
1: there was something, that some law that was passed that gave them permission to do that within a limited time well, frame. Clearly, within-
0: there's no limit.
1: Well, they, they never enforce it, right? Because <laughs> once you've invaded a country, and and you've destabilized it for 80 days. Like, why would they be like, no, you can't do this, right? Am I wrong, Mark? You seem like you would know. Who? Uh,
2: I want to know who uh, Carter invaded.
3: I don't King. know. I don't think he invaded anybody. I, I I, uh, there was
2: all I know was a rescue mission that was disastrously failed yeah, of the hostages, failed, uh, the hostages the host- in Iran.
3: Yeah. Okay. oh, more power to Carter, you know, yeah.
0: but I do have an experience, brother Ian. At mm-hmm. the time, I was I don't think Trump here. invaded anyone either, did he?
2: He did not. He I don't believe- uh, he he bombed a foreign general. Um, I wouldn't call that uh, an invasion. But it's. It, the general it was Carter. in Iraq at the time, right? Yeah.
0: Well, okay, so, but they were already there. Yeah. Uh, so I
1: still don't think it was justified, but, like, at least they didn't do the actual bombing in Iran.
0: The story Iran. here at the PBS, by the way, does point out that military leaders successfully beat back efforts by then President Donald Trump to pull all troops out of both Syria and Iraq. So apparently, he actually did try he beat back this effort. The military leaders, but they convinced him otherwise. They argued that if anything were to happen in Syria that endangered U.S. forces, they would need to be able to quickly send troops, equipment, and other support from Iraq. Whatever that means.
1: So U.S. forces are in Syria. So there's a hot war going on in Syria, anyway. No,
2: no, the forces are in, in Iraq next door. That's what they were making the argument.
1: Right, for. but if they're needed, if, if they're if they need to provide support to U.S. forces in Syria, was their argument.
0: Well, no, it said that if anything were to happen in Syria that endangered U.S. forces. It's not really clear okay. whether they are in Syria or not, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were.
2: Wouldn't surprise me either. Well, I I can assure you they are. Yeah. The question, the thing is, is we're not going to be told that that's true, and if we uh, act like we're leaking information, you can expect us to be assassinated. <laughs> All right, Ricky. But what but else? I
3: a, yeah, I do have an experience I'd like to share. At the time, I was 14 years old, and I was a vocal opposition to the war for the obvious reasons.
0: This and is, this is down, Desert Storm. You're talking about Desert Storm. Well, okay. I
3: oppose both of them. You know, regardless. Okay. But this was desert storm, and I was fourteen at the time. And I'll give one example of many that I encountered. And I encountered a dude at the point. And this guy was four times my age. How
0: old point. are you, Ricky? Forty-nine. Okay, all right. Got going,
3: they're going to be turned fifty December twenty-fifth this year.
0: All right, go ahead. What was you? What all were right. you saying? Anyway, Merry Christmas. I closest. encountered
3: this. I encountered this dude, and he started talking to me about it. And of course I was vocally opposition to it and it fell apart real quick. And he started calling me unpatriotic, all the usual stuff. He, then he started calling me a communist and I'm sitting there looking at this guy saying, this guy don't even know what a communist is, you know? And I mean, I ran into so much of that on both wars. And an interesting thought is concerning desert shield, uh, because that war fell apart because of technology, because guys snuck out the hotels and was sending stuff home back and forth. You ended up with a weird situation where you had two sides that were had to tie, like kill each other, but neither side wanted to do it, and it ended up screwing everybody up, especially our guys. You know, but I was vindicated pretty quickly. I was only called a commie for a short period of time with that one. You know, brother Ian.
2: I'll take your word for it. Well, I'll say well, this: true. that uh, the first casualty of war is always the truth.
0: That's no a fact. Doubt. Thank you, Ricky, for the call tonight. Appreciate it. Let's go to Major Payne on the line in Michigan. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Major.
4: Yeah, you guys were talking about the Twin Towers and uh, what the Lusitania that got blown up to start World War One. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I can I can take you back a war earlier than that. The Spanish American War was blown uh, started by them. Uh, blowing up the Maine. That that was the big headline of the day. Remember the Maine. That's what they used to rally the troops.
1: I have some vague memory about the USS Maine. Obviously not a memory as though I was alive during it, but a memory of learning something about it in school. But like, I don't even remember anything about the Spanish American war. The, the Spanish American war, the war of 1812, those are seriously glossed over in the American education system. At least they were when I was in school because I didn't even learn about the war of eighteen twelve in school. The White House burned. It was burned to the ground and nothing By the about Canadians. Yep. Yeah, and nothing about that was taught to me in school. And the Spanish American War, you say that, and I think, okay, the USS Maine, that sounds familiar, but that's the extent of what I learned in school about the Spanish American War. Why is the United States, which loves talking about war and it loves waging war? Why is it so quiet about the Spanish American War? Did it lose?
4: No, it didn't. Oh, it, no, it, was all about, it was about taking over Cuba. It wasn't so much about Mexico and Spain. Was this um, the fight over I, Texas? I, I, uh, my grandfather was awarded the only Congressional Medal of Honor in that war.
0: The fight over Texas was, was with Eddie, Mexicans.
2: Was Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders.
0: But there's,
1: that, so that wouldn't be the Spanish-American War? No. Okay. Yeah,
2: See, I don't know, so the Spanish-American War, Aria, is where Guam, Philippines... Uh, Puerto Rico, I think the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um... eh. I think that's all the territories. Maybe Samoa, too, uh, came from as far as U.S. territories. Teddy Roosevelt and another contingent of people wanted to grow the U.S.'s empire. Everybody else had an empire. We needed one, too. So this was and in, like, so the 20s, right? 1920s? This was much earlier than that. When was Roosevelt? I thought it was this 1800s. Been, this oh. has been, like, 1890,
1: 1890 and on. Let me take a quick look. Please forgive my American education, then.
0: <laughs> I, I There's it was been like a lot of damn wars. Yeah. I mean, how are you supposed to know them all? You got to be obsessed, Major. What else?
4: Well, I think it was eighteen ninety-eight, if I remember right. Okay. All right, so there's something of the day just shoehorned both through the Congress and the Senate, and hmm. I have not heard a peep about it. So I'm going to need a little help with your magic rectangle to get the particulars on it. Well,
0: if They've it was gone through both of them, it's probably the, bad.
4: They passed something called the ESC, Environmental Securities Control. And the long and short of it is that they are okaying it for financial institutions to back, um, let's say you can get something that you know you can get a 10% return on. They're going to okay it for you to invest monies in something you can only get a 5 or 7% return on as long as it is conducive with the Green New Deal bull. I would have to see They're, this law because they, they I haven't. Are, they, are, they, are trying, they are actually manipulating the banks even further. And as far as NATO goes, I think that's the army of the new world order.
1: Yeah, I would have to see something about this law. I don't know. This is the first I've heard about, it and I haven't had any chance to look into it. So I, I can't weigh in
0: on this particular law. Is this the it thing just, Biden just... vetoed?
4: No, I don't believe so. They, they, it's been passed by the House and the Senate.
1: Well, that means, yeah,
4: I I will be amazed. I I just like I said, I heard one news blip about this, but I haven't heard about it going through the House or the Senate. And what did you say it does? It's another one of these midnight votes. I don't know what the hell they're trying to pull.
0: Okay, well, there's something that Biden vetoed. He said it was his first veto. So he's been in office this whole time has never vetoed a single bill until now. Well, he's a Democrat. He never met a bill he didn't like. This came well, out... Bill
1: Clinton, I guess, maybe.
0: It came out yesterday. Mm. Uh, it's uh, He sought to kill a Republican-authored measure that would ban the government from considering environmental impacts or potential lawsuits when making investment decisions for people's retirement plans.
1: It does sound like the same bill.
0: In a video released by the White House, Biden said he vetoed the measure because, quote, it put at risk the retirement savings of individuals... Across the country. And you no, know that,
4: that, we, doesn't like, that doesn't sound like the same bill to me. Well, well I It does find, absolutely,
1: because okay. this is I mean, we, that's one way that the media put it. But this bill, I promise you, was eight or nine hundred pages long. And it oh, absolutely yeah. had some provision in there that could be interpreted in the way that Major Payne said, and it's got some provision in there that could be interpreted the way that this media organization said it. But that's there's a reason. They make these things, it doesn't, no bill released in my entire life by the U.S. government does just one One single thing.
0: thing. Yeah, not at the federal level.
1: They they do thousands of things, and they are these massive gargantuan documents that don't make sense to anyone with a brain, and most of the time the politicians don't even know what they really say.
0: The, be- uh, the measure ahead, vetoed by here. Biden would have effectively reinstated a Trump-era ban on federal managers of retirement plans, considering factors such as climate change, social impacts, or pending lawsuits when making investment choices. The veto could also help calm some anger for environmentalists who are upset with Biden for his recent decision to greenlight the Willow Oil Project, a massive and contentious oil drilling project in alaska so this is definitely an environmental related bill and the terminology you gave me uh major environmental securities control did not find anything so i'm gonna guess this is what you're talking about
4: well i might have heard it wrong like i said it was just a quick blip i tried to write it down before i forget it but i might have scrambled it
0: there you go man um, anything else
4: all right uh well let's see like I said, I think, I think NATO is the uh, police force of the new world order as far as the armies of the world go. And uh, I, I'm like the, the banks being on this otter slide and everything just coming at once. It's like there's three different brush fires coming from four different directions, and uh, it, it's, it's hard to, to fathom what could possibly be next.
0: Thank you for the call tonight. Uh, I do appreciate it. The number here is 603-283-6160. Well, don't worry. Everything's fine today. The bank stocks came back up again. So oh, thank goodness. Crisis averted. Whatever you do, don't take your money out of the banks. Don't re- remove your money from their control. It's all safe. The, the Treasury uh, Treasury Secretary and Joe Biden have reassured the people that oh, everything well, is safe with the banking system. So, I,
1: I don't think Americans believe this, though, so because I had an employee t- uh, today ask me about Bitcoin, really, and, and just ask me how they could get it, how could how they could buy Bitcoin, and I don't know what spurred this. I didn't ask because I was busy doing other stuff, but. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a question I was being asked a year ago. Hmm. I was being asked two years ago, maybe three years ago, and obviously I can't instruct them on how to do it or anything like that. But I can give them advice. I can point them in the direction of Coinbase or whatever. And I I suspect this has a lot to do with the general distrust of the banking system. Even if they don't know exactly why the banking system can't be trusted or exactly how it's screwing sure. them over, You, you know at some point on some level Americans can feel where the – can they where the problems are i, I think don't know they have man to. they they, they I mean, know it's they got could, so to do with finances and banks
0: if they could then well, wouldn't we see some lines outside of the banks well we we have no we haven't not around here not around here but didn't some of the first public bank had a line outside of it last weekend not this past one but the one prior to that and uh, and then, of course, Silicon Valley Bank, as it was going down, had a line outside of it. But you drive around Keene or whatever, you're not going to see anybody standing outside the bank. Not well, most
2: point. of the major problem is coming from people moving their money online. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in many cases, they're moving it from small banks to large banks. Yes, now, they are. They're, they're all seeing the problem, and they're all trying to come up with their own solution. I would echo Aria's thoughts on this, and I would add to it that... This is what Bitcoin was created for, that Bitcoin was created uh, in 2008 and released in 2009 exactly because of the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Satoshi Nakamoto made it very clear in his white paper, this is it. He wants a peer-to-peer currency that's not controlled by the big bankers. And if you feel like the big bankers are lying to you, then Bitcoin was created for you.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah the early newsletters make it clear that he Satoshi Nakamoto was an enemy of the U.S. banking
0: system, of the world's banking system. I think. Yes, uh, I believe wasn't it the Genesis block of Bitcoin that actually had a a news headline from the London Times that was yep. about you know some banking issue over in the UK? So it wasn't was just that the, the Libor US. scandal. I don't know, but it wasn't just about the U.S. S- right. Satoshi was concerned with global banking. And speaking of global banking. Uh there was an interesting headline 2 days ago this was on Sunday the US Federal Reserve is now collaborating or has con- is continuing to collaborate with other global central banks to make sure dollars are available to stem any liquidity concerns in the global financial system. This, according to CNBC, I saw the press release from the European Central Bank. They've teamed up now with the Bank of Canada, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank, and the Swiss National Bank, along with the Federal Reserve, in a, what they're calling a coordinated action to enhance the provision of liquidity through the standing U.S. dollar swap line arrangements. Now, what does that mean? I what have is, no idea. But
2: what what could possibly go Let's start with the wrong? liquidity. What does liquidity mean? That means uh, available funds. Yes, it does. It does to everybody else, but to banks, since banks don't have to have a money in order to get money anymore, it just means free money. They don't. They've run out of money. And they need more money.
0: That's right. And And the Fed's going um, to Whereas
2: if you run out of money, dear listener, if you run out of money, screw you. You are not too big to fail. You have not signed on the dotted line and joined the World Bank franchise. You are, you're fine to fail. No problem.
0: So you have to ask yourself, well, what is a swap line? They're saying it is a standing U.S. dollar swap line arrangement. Well, wh- what is the standing swap line arrangement, and when and since when has it been a standing arrangement? And uh, you go back to 2020. I just don't see what,
1: what could possibly go wrong with all of these world banks working together yeah. toward a common goal.
0: <laughs> well, they're trying to keep the system afloat, We're basically. in good
1: hands now. I've never felt so safe. And And Biden assured me that we're safe.
0: What's going to happen here and what has been happening? Now, this I did not see. I didn't see this news during the COVID situation. We saw the news that the U.S. government or the Federal Reserve got rid of the reserve requirement, meaning that when banks previous to COVID lent uh, lent money out, they didn't have to have it in the vault. But they did have to have roughly a tenth so they they could they could you know lend out nine times what they had in the vault or something like that, Some which is completely crazy. It right? is crazy, but no, the completely crazy part was where they got rid of the reserve requirement and okay. as of twenty twenty, the banks could just lend out any amount. Right. Previously, it was only ninety percent crazy. Correct. Correct. Now we're all one hundred percent plus uh, crazy. So that news we we heard about this one this one slipped by us. This is from August third of twenty twenty from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, when the coronavirus brought world economy to, the halt in, to a halt in March, it fell to the U.S. Federal Reserve to keep the wheels of finance turning for businesses across America. No, the, cor-
1: the coronavirus did not do this again. The governments, governments did.
0: did. And when funds stopped flowing to many banks and companies outside of America's borders, from Japanese lenders making bets on U.S. corporate debt to Singapore traders needing U.S. dollars to pay for imports, the U.S. central bank stepped in again. The Fed has long resisted becoming the world's backup lender, but it shed those reservations. No, it
1: hasn't. It's been wanting to be the world's primary lender since the beginning. That gives it the ultimate amount of
0: control. It shed those reservations after the pandemic went global. During two critical mid-March weeks, it brought a record $450 billion worth of treasuries... Sorry, bought a record $450 billion worth of treasuries from investors desperate to raise dollars. By April, the Fed had lent another nearly half a trillion dollars to its counterparts overseas, meaning to other central banks. For the for the people in
1: those countries, you need to understand, this is the U.S. banking system buying your country right out from under you. Repres- you're not going to have a chance to do anything about this in 20 years. If you're going to resist this in some way peacefully... By getting out and into a currency that they can't destroy... It's got to be sooner rather than later because otherwise the U.S. government, the U.S. banking system are literally buying your country out from under you.
0: The massive commitment was among the Fed's most significant and least noticed expansions of power yet. It eased a global dollar shortage, helped halt a deep market sell-off, and continues to support global markets today. It established the Fed as global guarantor of dollar funding, cementing the U.S. currency's role as the global financial system's underpinning. So not only is the Federal Reserve Reserve what they call the lender of last resort to the U.S. federal government, meaning that if the federal government can't sell enough bonds to other suckers, the Federal Reserve will come in and take care of it. They're now... The lender of last resort for the entire world's or most of the world's major central banks. And And it's worth
2: remembering that Alan Greenspan uh, told us back, and I can't remember what year it was, that the housing market's fine.
0: Yeah. And then it collapsed. Yep. Uh, There's more coming up here. We can talk about whatever's on your mind as well. Plus the $1 trillion military budget. We still have to talk about that, too. This is Free Talk Live. Hour two's coming up.
3: talk
1: live
0: it's free talk live we're kicking off the second hour of the program you can join the show here at the number 603-283-6160 at 603-283-6160 Ian here and Aria and Mark And we are going to get into Mark's story tonight. He wants to talk about the trillion-dollar, apparently, defense, so-called. You you pointed out, Arya, correctly, this is not for defense. This is a war budget. This is a military budget. uh, So we can get into that. But we were just talking about the latest with the banking crisis which the mainstream media is of course pointing out today that everything's fine the treasury secretary says it's all okay look over here look at this the central banks they've come to the rescue of the world the big central banks now we're not talking about china or russia but the sort of the western world central banks the european central bank the u.s the
1: u.s government would bail out those banks Uh, because i feel like it would be sort of a Similar situation to like when Russia asked to join NATO. It's like no, the point of our banking system is to collapse you guys and not to provide support to the Russian central bank or the
0: Chinese. central bank. Well, they're not bank. bailing out the Russians and the Chinese. Well, this they, is the they
1: don't need it. But if they were to need it, I, I don't think they would.
0: No, I think you're probably right about that. This is the this is the buddy banks. This is the ones yeah. that are on the, the same team. So the European Central Bank. Uh, the u.s central bank bank of mexico bank of england bank of japan these these characters uh, and so what they're, what they're doing according to cnbc is they've announced a joint liquidity operation through the standing u.s dollar swap line arrangements and what, what i was explaining here according to the wall street journal well what is the swap line arrangement what the journal pointed out in 2020 was that they created this agreement during the COVID situation where the Federal Reserve would lend half a trillion dollars to these other central banks, Bank of Japan, European, et cetera, those guys. Uh, and then they explain here, as best as, you know, I'm not a financial expert, so I'm gonna just lay this out there and you guys can, you know, say what you think about it. But their definition of the US dollar liquidity swap line is, they say, in essence, The Federal Reserve lends dollars for fixed periods to foreign central banks and in return takes in their local currencies at market exchange rates. At the time that the loans end, the Fed swaps back the currencies at the original exchange rate and collects interest. Hold on, because I I know there's something screwed up
1: about this. That's a key part of this. Mm -hmm. So they're going to inflate their currency So, they're taking out these loans. They're inflating the dollar. Yeah, but they're inflating their currencies way more than the U.S. dollar is being inflated, right? They they tend to, As a general rule. So, they're paying like $100 in, I don't know, let's say British pounds. And that's going to get inflated worse than the U.S. dollar. Then at the end of this loan, after 10 years or whatever, they get back that original 100 pounds. So, they've already lost money there because the pound has lost money against the dollar usually.
0: But they also well, no, it comes back at the original exchange, I guess. Right, yeah, which I guess would you're be right. just one hundred yeah, so pounds instead of one hundred one
1: pounds or yeah. whatever.
0: But they also get interest on top of that. The, they have to pay interest on top of that, yeah, right, to the Federal Reserve. So they would have to
1: in, very. But the interest they that they have this, to pay right? back is U.S. dollars, right? Presumably. Because otherwise they're just taking out a new loan from the federal. (laughs) So it has to be in the currency of their own bank. So it's literally just printing up money and giving it to a different bank. And then in return, that bank prints up money and gives it to you. And through the magic of this screwed up system... They slowly take ownership of you, and you become more and more impoverished, indebted to this central bank without any way of escaping, because the only way you can pay back that loan in the first place is to borrow more of that same currency. Well, the way
0: is that there is a way to escape, and that's to get out of central bank currencies.
1: Right, but otherwise it's just it's the same old stupid game of musical chairs where the music stops and there's not enough money to cover everyone, and someone is always left Someone's standing. Someone's
0: going to hold the bag. Now
1: yeah. they've expanded that to the entire world, and it's always been the entire world since the U.S. dollar standard. But
2: like this is making it completely clear
1: the rest of the yeah, world is so, screwed. Um,
2: I would add to that, Aria. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying. Your assessment is accurate. Um, I would add to it that governments claim your labor into the future. That's what tax is. They claim a portion of your labor into the future. And as they diminish the value of money, they cleave off a little portion of that labor for themselves and the people who get to, to, uh, to spend the money at first. So mm-hmm. you're right that bankruptcy is built into this as is the the government and uh, its little friends taking a piece uh, every step of the way. And this is what you opt into when you choose to operate within the government money system. This is a choice that you make. Well, no, because you I, can I don't t- agree. It's not an opt-in system. It's a system that you can out, opt out into of. It. But by default, you're, you opt in. Well, when you—I mean, you know—when you go to work, you can t- tell your boss you want to get paid in cryptocurrency. You can tell them, but
0: they're not yeah. going to pay you in cryptocurrency. Most of then them. find a job that does. It's very there's much lots a, of them
2: out there.
1: It's very much an opt-out system. It's not something we opted into. When I was sixteen year fifteen years old, getting my first job, I—you you can't opt into something that you don't even understand the basics of.
2: And before All right, that, so it's opt out. Work- if you can opt out of a system, you're free. Sure. So opt out. Yeah.
0: Yes, now would be a good time to begin opting out of the central bank money system and, of course, cryptocurrency, gold and silver. These are some of the more popular ways uh, that people are looking at doing that.
1: Didn't the former CFO of, I believe, Visa say never in human history has so much been stolen from so many by so few opt out with yep. Bitcoin? <laughs>
0: Yeah, wasn't that the guy from like Visa Asia or something like that? It was that? someone from
1: Visa. It was some <laughs> was high-ranking person ago, right? in Visa. Yeah, and he's absolutely years. right. Opt out of this mess with Bitcoin because well, they are stealing from you.
0: That is the message that's being promoted by the former CTO of Coinbase, um gentleman by the name of Balaji Srinivasan. He's well, made a broken clock is
1: right twice a day.
0: He's made a millionaire bet. Well, he doesn't work for him anymore. Uh, he's made a millionaire bet on June – or sorry – uh, what is it? He says by June 17th, he's saying the price of Bitcoin will reach $1 million. He initiated this wager on March 17th when pseudonymous Twitter user James Medlock offered to bet anyone $1 million that the United States would not experience hyperinflation. A few hours later, uh, the former Coinbase executive accepted the bet. Under the proposed terms, if Bitcoin's price fails to reach a million dollars by June seventeenth, Medlock will win one million dollars worth of the dollar pegged stablecoin USDC and one Bitcoin. In the same way, if Bitcoin is worth at least a million dollars by that date, then Balaji can keep the one Bitcoin and the one million dollars in USDC. So the guy I've never
1: heard a bet that I wanted to take so much. Right? Not, like I I wish to God I could take
0: this bet because I I can't lose. You'd right? bet against the million dollars you'd bet against bet that, the price yes, going to a million
1: because if I lose and Bitcoin hits a million dollars per, who cares? That's still a lot. That's you know still huge amounts of Bitcoin or mm-hmm. huge amounts of money or whatever. Even if you have point one Bitcoin, that's still a hundred thousand dollars. Well, you would have
0: to have a whole Bitcoin in order to right. put it into this. There bank. is that caveat,
1: and I'd have to be able to use Bitcoin and all these other things that simply aren't the case. But like I this. To me, if you have a Bitcoin to
0: spare, this is a bet you simply cannot lose. You either win. Well, you would if all you have is a Bitcoin, then you could lose your entire Bitcoin. Okay, fair, in fair. this bet. But as long as you have more than one Bitcoin, the two odds are Bitcoins. against you losing it. I mean, it's. But even if you
1: did, it, as long as you have some Bitcoin, you're still going to benefit so substantially by Bitcoin going to a million dollars per that it's. It's almost inconsequential to lose one bitcoin except at you know one million per you lost a million dollars right however, if you have if for you know people out there who have five bitcoins or whatever, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't take this bet. They either win a million dollars in u s dollar coins or their bitcoin becomes worth four million dollars or whatever anyway, which is still a winning proposition okay, you only have four million dollars instead of five million dollars, hmm. oh no woe is me yeah. but to me it's, well, such the a, odds are it's a fantastic him, right?
0: bet right i mean they, at least from just looking at it the odds according to this uh, are 40 to 1 because bitcoin is currently worth 26 or twenty-eight thousand dollars. is that how
1: odds are calculated i guess that's that simple that's
0: what they said okay but uh balaji posted about this he's been posting a lot about this i had not heard of this guy before but i i'm now following him because i mean the guy's ballsy right <laughs> like he's putting up a million dollars of his own money for this so kudos to him for it in fact he actually doubled down by taking a second bet with another person so the first guy that said he was willing to bet as soon as Balaji put out that he he wants to do this another guy put forward and so he said all right we we'll right, we'll do two million a million over here and a million over there so he's actually got two bets going on apparently simultaneously the same uh
1: but to be resistance. fair hyperinflation is a bad thing and in a period this period of hyperinflation that they're talking about where bitcoin is worth a million dollars bitcoin isn't worth a million dollars in that particular scenario well bitcoin what actually, would be worth a well, million dollars it's of,
0: just a million dollars wouldn't buy what a million dollars bought 90 days prior yeah
1: that's exactly the issue is that <laughs> suddenly instead of you're buying you know a 20 year old car for a million dollars that's right that's instead of you know a fancy house so it's still it's still ultimately a losing proposition, except it's bad news if this if this thing goes. Except goes for forward. the people who have Bitcoin, But it, it's not necessarily bad for them because they have a safeguard against hyperinflation, and the same is true for people we, we who have hope. gold and
0: silver. We hope. I mean, there's obviously no guarantees for the future, but typically gold and silver have held their own against inflation over the decades. That's and it for looks sure. like
1: Bitcoin is shaping up to do so as well. And
0: there's a good chance Bitcoin will do it better than. Gold and silver, because gold and silver markets are manipulated. Uh, Balaji points out on his own Twitter thread, he says, Just as in 2008, the bankers lied. This time, the central bankers, the banks, and the bank regulators have lied to all dollar holders and depositors. This isn't your typical fractional reserve situation, he says. The problem is that there isn't enough in the banks on a mark-to-market basis to cover withdrawals. That's always been the case, though, and I I
1: disagree. I don't think they're lying— I think they're deluded. I think the banking system... I think these people have bought their own press. They genuinely believe that they can make all of this work, that they can fix everything. They can just print enough money or manipulate enough numbers to make all of this work out. I don't think they fully understand the gravity of the problem they've caused. I think that the banks believe... They can fix this. That's why they promised that $30 billion to whoever it was that collapsed recently.
0: That's not because they think that it's going to fix anything. They think it's going to put it off.
1: They thought they could keep that
2: bank
0: afloat. I don't know if they thought that. I think they thought it was temporary. The
2: putting it off me is fixing it. I mean, that's what they've been doing for the longest time, at the very least, since I was born in like 1971 um, with the Brenton Woods Accords. That's all the whole that's what fiat money is, is putting off the collapse.
0: Right. But to pretend like they don't know or to to suggest that they don't know what
2: they're doing. I mean, I think. Hold on. Hold on. So I, I have a good friend of mine. He's the godfather of my kid, as a matter of fact. He is a banker and he works high up in one of the banking organizations. And I will not reveal which one. And he said. After I had a conversation with him about this, and I think it was in 2007, he said, I learned something today. I learned the term fiat currency. I'd never heard it before. And he looked it up. I I don't know enough about this
1: person to understand that, but based on Ian's reaction, do you know the person? I mean, I don't
0: know him well, but I mean, Mark says he works in banking. I didn't even know that about him. Okay. But you're saying and someone he, who worked in
2: he had banking. never heard didn't, the term no. fiat. Wow. And I well, think saw I the, agree with Aria. They, you, do, uh, they have bought their own press. And you saw the news coverage about was, the
1: Crypto Six, where the, the news media calling it flat currency. <laughs> like these people are clueless.
0: Well, he points out here that uh, they knew that this was the case through all of last year and communicated it internally in their coded language. He provides some graphs. He says it's obvious. The central banks, the banks, and the banking regulators all knew a huge crash was coming. The phrase they use is unrealized losses. But they never notified you, the depositor. Instead, the regulators allowed banks to hide their literal insolvency in footnotes until one guy figured it out. It's Uncle Sam Bankman fried Just like SBF used your deposits to buy S-coins, using accounting tricks to fool himself and others into using the money, so too did the banks. They all used the deposits to buy the ultimate S-coin, long-dated U.S. treasuries, and they all got wrecked at the same time in the same way because they bought the same asset from the same vendor who devalued it at the same time, the Federal Reserve." Specifically and this is
2: absolutely true. Everybody's calling S, uh, Sam Bankman fraud a fraudster and an evil man and mm-hmm. these kinds of things. This guy got his training in the US banking system. He there wasn't one single trick that he used that he that it hasn't been that he wasn't taught. And so he's he's absolutely right.
0: Yeah, but there you go. he's going to get sent up the river on this, but these bankers yeah. are going to get bailed out. That's how out. it
2: always is. Yeah. So they always. Need well, you're their... going to get sent up the river. <laughs> like that's the thing is, is they're attempting to send you up the river for mm-hmm. having sold Bitcoin to to fraudsters and little old ladies who fell in love with them. They sure. But are. they don't have a problem with Walmart. And Target selling, you know, these little cash cards to, that have been used in the same way. No, they don't. Um, no You're never going to put a big multinational on trial for this, but you can believe that, uh, you know, a jury of your peers in New Hampshire darn sure found you guilty of it.
0: Yep, and as the New York Times admitted, banks binged on enormous amounts of treasuries and other long-term bonds in 2021 when the flood of printed money cut off their typical demand for loans and because they thought the Fed would keep interest rates low forever. By the way, they're talking about the Fed's going to raise interest rates again tomorrow. Haven't
1: uh, they increased it by like 1700% yeah, in like a in year last or two? Year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's reckless. And that to me suggests that they know that this is going to go south, really. And I think they do know the that the Fed
0: it, must know. Whether little you know, little right. bankers at banks around the country know, maybe not.
1: I think they probably believe that they can fix this or that they can somehow contain it. I don't know, I could I could be completely mistaken, but I think they do have some understanding of how what could happen, but they think they can avert it.
0: They had yes. good reason to believe this, says Balaji. Powell said he'd be patient on rate hikes as late as November 3rd of 2021. Then he got renominated November 22nd of 2021 and hiked rates much faster than anyone had expected, which even Yellen and the FDIC admit caused the current banking crisis. Why did Powell delay? Probably for political reasons. Presidents don't like rate hikes, especially running into the election year of 2022. Well, and- he was also up for re-election, right? Himself. Powell got renominated November yeah. 22nd. Well, that's yeah.
1: why he didn't do it before, because if he was going to raise the interest rates, they wouldn't have renominated
0: him. Correct. And it's- Powell thought he could wait and be just like Paul Volcker, who was firm and then defeated inflation. But the world isn't an 80s rerun. Hiking from 10 years of near zero interest rates in the 2010s was a surprise attack on every dollar holder. Economics isn't politics. The kind of insane flip flops you see in politics don't work when there are actual contracts involved. So anyone who bet on long-term treasuries, the banks, got killed in 2021. And now anyone who bets on short-term treasuries is going to get killed in 2023. The absolute worst place you can be is to have large amounts of assets locked up in three-month treasury bills. The 5% interest rate offered by big banks is a trap. Most fiat bank accounts are now a trap for those countries whose central bankers followed the Fed. And then he provides... Lots of different footnotes. I like and the strong tra- wording. And charts backing this up. And his point is with regards to why you're in trouble if you take the bait and you buy these high rate treasuries for three months. This is why he's saying he thinks it's going to go up. The dollar's going to hit, or the uh, Bitcoin's going to hit a million dollars in three months. If you've got your money locked up in one of these treasuries and the, inf- the hyperinflation hits,
1: that 5%. You're stuck. Yeah, and that 5%
0: interest you get is irrelevant it will mean absolutely nothing oh yeah. here's
1: a nickel a nickel is now less than a penny was you know 90 days ago yeah
0: you cannot get out of that you can't take you have no liquidity it's locked up in the treasury bonds you can't cash out early not not as i understand it okay. i, I, I don't know. know i don't know what the rules are to treasury bonds i've never owned i've never owned one
1: why would you right yeah. like if i wanted to invest in something i would find a company that yeah. i wanted to invest in or You're some penny give stock government. on Robinhood or something right? Uh, yeah, any invest in anyone except the U.S. government, so who doesn't produce anything, doesn't create anything except
0: war and death. Presidential candidate. Well, Aaron, I
2: wouldn't. I wouldn't invest in the Russian government or the Chinese government, or frankly, any of them out there. No way. That's um, they evil. They don't get. Uh, you know, they they don't get feedback on their uh, actions enough to make good moves.
1: No, but financially, I think it's probably uh, immoral, certainly, but financially, I think it's probably a better bet to bet on Russia or China than it is the U.S. government right now.
2: Mm, I disagree. Yeah, Russia and China together don't have the advantages that the U.S. economy does. I, uh, I, I wouldn't, US I wouldn't take your isn't bet.
0: Gonna have gr- isn't going to be looking too pretty if... Uh, here's, what I would, here's the
2: bet I would take is, is um, I'd ask you and uh, Aria, you and Ian this, is I realize that you c- you can't play around in cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. but I would recommend that everybody listening to me right now have some cryptocurrency for this as a hedge against this financial looming financial disaster that mm. could come our way i would absolutely agree with that and buy some gold and so how would well. you go about getting it coinbase, how would you recommend that other people go about getting it coinbase
1: and i mean i hate myself for saying it but like that's the easiest and fastest and i mean most go with kraken
2: way. if you're
0: gonna okay if you're gonna recommend a centralized exchange at least at least recommend sure. one by a run by a libertarian okay fair enough so
1: kraken Coinbase is probably a little easier for them to use but I don't th- think so. They're all
0: really simple. I don't I, I don't think so. Kraken's made it pretty easy. As much as it I curls
1: understand. my stomach to recommend one of these places like Kraken or Coinbase or whatever, realistically, that's how most people are going to get their first cryptocurrency and it's withdraw it afterward to your own private wallet don't leave it on there but that's the easiest and fastest you right now can take your debit card and go to Mm kraken.com and buy twenty dollars worth of bitcoin you're like oh well what is that point zero 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 four bitcoin or whatever yes it is it's negligible unless hyperinflation actually happens and then that's worth forty thousand dollars in this new hyperinflated currency so it's not inconsequential or meaningless Buy a little bit. Buy what you can afford to lose because Bitcoin may could, in theory, drop to zero tomorrow. So don't invest what you're not willing to lose. And don't even look at it as investing. Look at it as Mm. protecting your assets as much as you can safely do against inflation. And the way that appears strongest to defend you against inflation. Also, get some gold and silver while you're at it. I I think I would recommend silver a little more than gold because you get a larger quantity of silver. And that makes it a little easier to track instead of... You know, one ounce of gold is $2,000, and it's massive, but one ounce of silver is, what, $20? So you so you end up getting an easier-to-track piece of silver. So I would recommend gold and silver and Kraken, and just money that you can afford to lose because you could lose it. But if you leave it in U.S. dollars, you are guaranteed to lose it eventually.
0: It is going to go down in value. You can definitely predict the uh, decline of the U.S. dollar. The only thing you can't know is how quickly the U.S. dollar is going to decline in value.
1: According to this guy, by what? Let's see, what is that? Five hundred percent over the next nine months? Something along the or five thousand percent? I can't do the. No, there's too many
0: zeros to do it off the top of my head while I'm also talking. But yeah, I don't know if he's right, but it's a ballsy. It's a ballsy bet to say that Bitcoin's any- going to go to a million dollars in the next 90 days. I mean, John McAfee, when he made that bet, I think he gave it a couple years yeah, to, uh, to go that he far. He did, and then he fast. backed out of it. He did and, back out. I of mean,
1: it. And, then and then he, then he quote, died. suicided yeah. in a Spanish jail Yeah, under mysterious circumstances. After saying that
2: under no circumstance would he commit suicide. That is true.
1: While his wife is saying he would not have committed suicide.
0: All right, there's more coming up here, and you can join the show. The number 603-283-6160. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. The $1 trillion military budget, we'll cover that one coming up. Mark's got the story. And, of course, your calls and thoughts are welcome on anything you want to discuss here on Free Talk Live. you can join us, bring up anything here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We are talking about the financial situation and what one former Coinbase CTO is doing, putting a million dollars on the line in a bet that says that he believes that within 90 days, so by June 17th, because he started this March 17th, that within 90 days, the price of bitcoin will hit one million dollars it's a ballsy bet uh in the studio tonight it's ian aria and outside and mark mark is joining us from a uh, unknown location and you can join us online anytime you want just head over to freetalklive.com don't forget we have our own social media platform there you can go to social.freetalklive.com you can interact with other free talk live listeners and uh, there, it's a, it's free. It's our own server. We're running the thing, and that means we set the rules, and we say you can have more freedom of speech on our server than you can on Twitter and Facebook. So get on over there to social.freetalklive.com. Man, it's
1: been like a week since I got a report, too, hasn't it?
0: I guess it has been a little bit since. Man, you guys
1: got to get on it.
0: I'm disappointed. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like having to deal with the reports. I
1: don't either, but it's surprising. I mean, it, it, it suggests to me that, I don't know. What does it suggest? Maybe people are getting less sensitive. I I would love that to be the case.
0: Or maybe those other servers are blocking us. So who knows? Who knows what's going on? Uh, Their uh, loss. You can express yourself more over at social.freetalklive.com. I posted today an image that I found from weird AI generations or something like that. It's of Donald Trump Mm -hmm. Going like limp when getting arrested by the New York Police Department. <laughs> I mean,
1: if you're going to get arrested, you might as well refuse to cooperate. There was an activist. Well, in no, it's U- pretty
0: bad advice if unless you want to catch another uh, criminal charge. When I say refuse
1: li- to cooperate, I, I just mean that. Can you get criminal charges for that? For
0: like if you, going, if you go limp, yeah, they'll charge really? you with resisting arrest. Wow, I I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean, if you want to. If you want to make it difficult on the police, that would be the reason to do that, but not if you're trying to avoid criminal, you know, further criminal charges. Cause they I didn't make know it
1: that work. because I know there was that activist uh, here in New Hampshire. I don't remember her name now, but she was arrested while, you know, trying to maintain her property or help someone else maintain their property yeah. against, you know, some eminent domain thing. And yeah, you're referring she,
0: to Lauren Canario, yes, that's uh, which it. she did down in New London, Connecticut, in the Kilo. Versus New London case. And yeah. she went limp. Yeah, and they and, charged and her it for was, it.
1: Okay, I didn't know that. I knew that her activism was tremendously yeah. successful to some degree. I don't know if she achieved the goal that she set out no, to achieve. No, of course
0: not. No, they stole those people's houses from them. Yeah, which is unfortunate.
1: Okay, well, disregard what I said then. Yeah. It's not good advice. Don't well, do it.
0: Yeah, it's only it's only good advice if that's what your intention is, is to be a cog, you know, screw up the, the wheels of the system, basically. There's better ways. There's yeah, better that's ways. that's why most people don't do that. But it would be hilarious if Donald Trump did that. And so anyway... Be. You can see that picture. I don't think Donald Trump
1: would face additional charges for it. So I think he should do it. And I don't care if they charge. I mean, he's a war criminal.
0: They are saying there's already speculation that he's not even going to be handcuffed.
1: No, they'll tell they'll release the indictment and they'll do a proper arraignment with him where they notify him and he shows up and pleads not guilty. The
0: current the current story that's at the top of the news is that Trump is going to be indicted perhaps tomorrow and then he will travel to New York, cause he's in Florida in order to turn himself in and then be arraigned. And ha- he will apparently have a booking photo taken, so he'll be fingerprinted and he'll be photographed. But they're saying that he will likely not be handcuffed.
1: I want to know what does the Secret Service do?
0: They're going to hand him over. Basically. And this, and,
1: I mean, but they don't.
0: They're not required to do that, are they? They're law enforcement, so they're going to do what they're told to do. Uh, but so they're, they're going to. But their primary goal. They, I mean, they're a
1: their primary thing is to protect the president at all costs like
0: protect them from like getting attacked or whatever. They're not going to well, stop this the an attack. They're not going to stop the system from working on him. They're going to hand him over. So they're going to be involved in the surrender. Who does of the secret Donald
1: service Trump? answer to. It? I really feel like the we, federal government I I know but they're they're That doesn't fully answer the question because if the answer was just the federal government, then the president would be in charge of them. But he's not, and we saw this. You mean the Democratic president? Whoever we saw this in two thousand in the two thousand January the sixth thing, where Trump was telling his driver, "No, take me back there, take me back to the Capitol building or whatever," and the Secret Service was like, "No, we're not letting you go. You go back there. If it was just Mm. the federal government in charge, then they would have to obey." Trump's commands. If, and if it's a good question, who they, are they obeying? Then? Yeah. So
2: they got to be sure obeying someone. I'm sure they took someone. an oath to the US Constitution and the president just like the military does.
1: Yeah, but they they specifically nothing, told no. Trump, "We're not going to do that. We're not going to obey your command. We're taking mm. you back to the White House."
0: Let's go to the phones here. We got Crichton on the line in Kentucky. Crichton, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead.
1: From somewhere deep in the earth.
6: Um, welcome. Yeah, I, I wanted to respond to uh the the con the idea that now would be a good time to buy gold and silver, um, or even bitcoin necessarily. Um, I, I'm not going to say that it's too late. No. but uh, there if uh, if you're talking to to the average person who has never so much as touched a gold coin, or, or gold back, that they should take what they have, in their uh. Whatever, wherever place they they stuffed their uh, cash and go buy a coin. I think that's bad advice at this at this point. It, they, most people will be better off uh, uh, going to buy extra canned goods or something like that than uh, try to dive headfirst into Bitcoin, having never done it, or gold and silver, having never
1: done it. I'll accept patient, that. I mean that's good. Instead Aria, of buying- you
0: didn't say. I, first of all, Aria is not a financial advisor, but you didn't say go spend all your money on Bitcoin and gold. No. You said twenty dollars to buy some Bitcoin, and I, I suspect did. you didn't. Weren't I specifically suggesting- said
1: the number twenty dollars. And
0: if you were saying twenty dollars to buy Bitcoin, I don't think you were suggesting twenty thousand dollars to buy gold, right? No, so but like- Crichton
1: makes a really good point. Uh, it- that's useless in, in this sort of economic collapse where people don't have food. I mean, great, you have Bitcoin and you could probably buy some food from someone mm. with that Bitcoin or that gold or whatever, but it would be far better for you in the short term and at least in the midterm, to buy canned goods. Something that will that you can eat. You, can you can't do eat all your of Bitcoin. It, okay?
0: If you've if you've got twenty dollars to spend on Bitcoin You can probably spend $20 on canned goods as well at the same time. I mean, cut back on the alcohol for a weekend and you can probably afford it, right? Like, there's some things you're probably spending money on right now that aren't really necessary. You could cut back on those things and then buy some of these alternatives. The fact is, uh, and I think it was uh, Peter St. Ange from Mises who pointed this out in one of his recent videos, is... Yeah, if the money is going to be hyperinflating, that doesn't mean like soup is going to disappear, okay? So there's still manufacturing, there's still industry, there's still people out there farming, there's still things are happening out there. It's just that hyperinflation means the prices are going to go up and they're going to go up faster than they've been going up in, in recent years. So having some sort of alternative to the dollar might be useful in that circumstance.
2: Well, I think that's really important to point out is, is that, you know, an economic collapse, we don't know what uh, the collapse of the global uh, currency looks like because it's never happened to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it could be the way that things are in Argentina right now. They currently have hyperinflation in Argentina. If you go to, the if you try to get some money beforehand, you stop off the airport, or whatever and you do your exchange you're likely to go ahead and pay and get 180 pesos for a dollar but if you wait to get into the city and go to a combio there you're going to get 360 pesos to the dollar mm-hmm. and th- th- you know this is what it all looks like i mean they've got to change their prices regularly their menu prices are going up and this kind of thing i mean they haven't yet eaten the dog as a matter of fact, they have a zoo and I was there and they hadn't eaten the zoo animals. They have in Venezuela. Now, um, mm. I mean, these things can look different and having canned foods a good idea. Yep. Having some ammunition is a good idea. But having some Bitcoin and having some gold, I'll stand by that statement. Um, I think it's a good idea. Come I on. think that
6: if, I think that if, um now would be a really good
1: time to go out to the garden center and buy some seeds, if nothing else. Um, I think it's probably it, it, too late for a lot of the people. If you don't already know how to garden, you're probably in in the event of this sort of societal or economic collapse. Well, you
0: you can learn. I mean, you did a garden last year. Yeah, right? but I
2: wasn't in the middle of an economic collapse. You well, know? I mean, you still, I, you're going you learn stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I grow cabbage, point. grow squash. Grow tomatoes. Yeah, but the um, average American wow. has never grown anything. And, you know, I, I hadn't either when I grew squash and tomatoes and cabbage. How Those are you easy learn, things you to grow. Right. You I, gotta
1: put a, put I'm the saying they in. need to learn, but yeah. I'm saying that I think it's probably a little too late Why for is it them too to learn and be effective. For the same reason that he Crichton was saying it's probably too late to buy Bitcoin. They need something that they, they'll be able to eat, and you can't eat the seeds this year. You could eat the the fruits of your garden next year, You can, you but grow the issue we believe is going eat it to be this year. This year. You
0: put it, you put yeah, but you starve to death while you wait for it to grow. You're not gonna starve to death. Arya, there's plenty of food out there right now. Okay. okay. So you put you Actually. put seeds in the earth last year. Yeah. In the springtime, and you harvested an S ton of carrots and like green beans and stuff just a few months later. So like it isn't something that someone can't it was about do. It's eight months later. Okay, but it's not something people cannot do. They, yeah. they, if that, I didn't mean I, to suggest it was. It's a good idea to to do that sort of stuff if you have the land. Of course, if you're in the city, then well, Good luck to Actually,
6: you. I mentioned seeds in particular because in as Venezuela was a wonderful example that in the early part of it, the barter economy seeds packets really become very valuable mm. really fast.
1: Mm-hmm. It's also true that if you have a garden and your neighbors don't and your neighbors are starving, then you're a target.
0: Sure Possibly. Enough. Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, Which so- comes
1: back to Mark's point of buying
0: ammunition. right uh anything else Crichton, you want to share tonight no thank you very much hey thanks for the call tonight i i appreciate it all good suggestions uh try to do as many of them as you i would say i would say do as many of them as you can you're correct you can afford to do
1: and i was hasty to say that it's too late to to you know start a garden obviously it's not too late and it would be a good idea to start with simpler things because there's some growing pains there that you're going to have to deal with yeah your first crops are not going to be good. I planted my carrots way too close together, and because of that, they stunted each other's growth. It turned out to be fine because there were thousands of the stupid things. Yeah, we threw some away. And we <laughs> yeah. But they were very small, whereas you would prefer to have you know, a few dozen very mm-hmm. large carrots. I had a few hundred very tiny ones. I thought they
0: were tasty, though. I, mean, you I mean they were. I ate them.
1: But they probably would have been better if they were big and more robust and more... Not beggars can't be choosers, though.
0: Like if you're, you know, if you're hungry, you're gonna eat. Like we threw some of them away because they were like kind of floppy; they weren't like real hard kind of carrots like you would expect. But if you're starving, then you ain't gonna throw that stuff away. You're gonna, you're gonna eat it.
1: Right. But this is stuff that I learned last year that I did not know otherwise. And now this year, when I do my garden, I will have a healthier, more. Plus, I also learned what is a better place to plant some things versus other things. So I learned a lot, and it's going to be useful going forward. But if I had to survive the winter, on what I just grew, and obviously I don't have a big enough garden to survive the winter on that, I would have been screwed.
2: Mark? This is the reason that I mentioned cabbage, squash, and tomatoes, is that other vegetation is, uh, vegetation is harder to grow. Tomatoes takes are a little super more hard to grow. Tomatoes aren't the easiest in the world, but they are the tastiest. They are. and And that's why I recommend tomatoes, is because, man, you really feel, like no matter what, Tomatoes are delicious. It doesn't matter whether you're a millionaire or you're or you're starving to death. Tomatoes are delicious. A fresh so, tomato
1: is delicious. And sadly, I, I, I my heart tells me that most Americans have never genuinely had a fresh tomato, hmm. like out of a garden. I agree
2: with you. And that's yep. so sad, man. That's so sad. And, Cabbage is the fastest growing. It's not the easiest either, but it's pretty easy. It's the fastest growing. It doesn't have a great deal of nutritional value, but it has some and it'll get you something like you can make some soup. Maybe you can add some, uh, you know, some, some meat to the soup and then you've got something going.
1: Don't underestimate potatoes either. They're super easy to grow
2: potatoes are really easy to grow too and they give you a lot of calories squash um the reason i mentioned that is is i mean just the abundance of food that you get once you get the squash then you have to learn canning or in some manner or another keeping the squash so there you go i've done it all
0: let's (laughs) go to the phones to somebody who is in the city greg is calling us from new york city go ahead greg
7: hey everyone uh i called in yesterday about uh, the destruction of ecosystems and everything uh, just to recap, I said that uh, you know ninety five percent of all biomass in the world is now humans and their uh, livestock, and the rest is uh, other mammals is five percent, and so on. And uh, something Aria said, I was wondering what uh, she actually brought up. I was struck by it. She said that, well, if we mess up and humanity all dies, well, you know at least we exercise our liberty. and Mike that 's not said, even close to what I
1: said, but okay.
7: What did you say? Let me, I don't want to put words in mouth. What I, I said
1: that if humanity destroys our own environment and we annihilate ourselves, then that's just proof that humans weren't fit to survive the eons.
7: Okay. But I guess all I'm saying is, you know, I think the liberty to swing your fist uh, ends with, like, my face, right? And we all have to share the planet. So if people are, let's say, for policies that uh, exacerbate the problem, I mean, we're down to... 10% of all rainforests and 5% of all biodiversity and the insects are gone almost like, you're not gone, sorry, they're, they're going and the overfishing and coral reefs are being bleached and the kelp forest and so on and so forth. So there's really not much left. And so like if people keep doubling down, on like, hey, let's do nothing about this. Isn't that initiating violence against me or against other people who have to live on this planet?
0: No, doing way? nothing is by definition not initiating violence.
7: Okay, so in other words, this is where I see like a big loophole in libertarianism because like at the end, people like I am threatened, right, by policies. Like if everyone decides, hey, let's block all of these environmental uh, collective action like uh, problems. How do we solve them is by organizing. The organizing principle should be the environment we live in has to be livable, sustainable. And if that's not the organization... Hey, I like,
0: a, I like a nice environment. I like clean air. I like clean water. But I'm not willing to put a gun to my neighbor's head to force him to go along with my plan to clean things up. Greg,
1: I think you've gotten caught up in, in the numbers that you're saying. You know, it sounds terrible when you're like 95% of all the biomass is humans. Okay, well, that's 95% of all mammal biomass, first of all. And mammals aren't exactly the most populated spe- uh, kingdom on the planet, okay. but zero point zero one percent—that's the total biomass on planet Earth that is humans. Zero point zero one percent. So yes, humans are ninety-five percent of that zero point zero one percent. But that's that's a. That's nothing. That's a 10,000th of the biomass on the planet. The insects aren't gone. The, when you mentioned insects, I thought that was weird because there's like three and a half million different species of bug, right? <laughs> so, well, like, if how? wow, we, you know. So.
2: I think it's worth bringing up that, um, you know, we, we all want these good results. I, I do. I want the good results, and I'm working very hard right now with um, different coral organizations in order to restore, um, you know, the coral around the world and trying to come up with plans that, and ways to, to solve that problem. But, uh, I mean, there, the government doesn't solve this. It's just like the Alaskan Wildlife Refuge or whatever, Anwar back in the day. It was like, oh, my God, you can't drill in Anwar because, you know, it'll ruin Alaska. Well, it didn't, but the government was going to solve this problem? The EPA, the organization that poisoned the Colorado River, um, you know, and is constantly doing, I mean, who's going to solve this problem? It certainly isn't the government.
7: Well, you know me, I'm not advocating to use the state uh, to solve the problem. I'm simply saying that we as people, if let's say we live in a small town, And you insist on like dumping nuclear waste or you know toxic waste into my river and poisoning people you could say well you know i'm not willing to raise a gun or to stop you from doing that but in the end everyone dies or gets severely poisoned and i think in the end that philosophy of not using any violence if you're willing to use violence to enforce property for sure you should be willing to use violence to enforce life and, uh, well, in health. that
0: case, it's a property question, because yeah. you are if you're polluting a river, you're polluting other people's property, and so they would actually absolutely have a claim against you in, uh, I think, the, uh, the free market world that most libertarians would envision.
7: So, by that same token, if you are causing, let's say, to, the, the problem with libertarian solutions only, just like the problem with statist uh, solutions only, is that... It is so decentralized. The problem requires people to get together and figure out how they will adjust their behavior. Like, for example, uh, the ozone layer, the CFCs, you know, we used to have a lot of chlorofluorocarbons and the Toronto Protocol with countries getting together and saying, "We'll simply stop producing these, try to move to something else. And I'd like to see that happening with, let's say, metric tons of plastic. Because, again, it's going to be more than fish in the ocean by 2050, more the biomass of all fish will be exceeded by a Right. And if so you like- can
0: convince people to do something voluntarily, then that's the way to go, right? Like if you can get uh, people on board with demanding alternatives to plastic, whatever that would be,
2: uh, then then you should.
1: The problem I see is well, that let's is, there's not there's a forget reason. that who's
2: who's responsible for the plastic okay. dumping. Um, you know, we say we, but this stuff is coming from specific places it isn't coming from america it isn't even coming from the americas generally um, most of the pacific garbage patch is a few select countries in southeast asia i don't want to create an in- international incident by uh, you know labeling you know label calling and calling the foul here but that's you know specific countries have a specific practice of taking their garbage and going and dropping it into the ocean and these countries are not being sanctioned by wait for it the government like the united states government isn't sanctioning them and could
7: i need to add add one thing to that mark and that is our country the united states the government our country uh, the government colluded with the corporations, as they often do, and I, as a left libertarian, often call them out for working with the corporatists. The corporations like Coca-Cola and Snapple used to have plastic uh, glass bottles, they switched to plastic, they externalize the cost to everybody. Then they tell the individual, you can't have a straw, you can't have a bag, but then they make metric tons every day, they, they put it in your hand, and then what happens is... They told you to recycle. They distract you. And recycling is a sham. Mm-hmm. It's a sham. They ship it to that country. It's not just that country's plastic. It's our plastic. And we duped our public into thinking that they were doing something good by recycling. That's my point. Of course, the government is lying to you with the corporation. But I'm saying we have to do something because we do nothing as people and we just go, hey, let's enjoy our liberties. We're living no, on an ecological credit card, and we're the most irresponsible generation in history. No, see, the, that.
1: that's the whole panic thing that I uh, talked about in regard to to Ukraine, right, where the uh, everyone's, oh, my God, we have to do something. And so they came up with sanctions as the solution. You know. But this is like just if your shed is on fire, you feel like you've got to do something. And you're holding a, you know, you're holding a jug of gasoline. Just because of your desire to do something doesn't mean you should throw that gasoline on the shed. Sure. It's doing something, but we don't just panic and start doing stuff just because we we feel like we have to do something to make the problem go away, because a lot of the things that we can do are just going to make the problem worse. Yeah, you could do something and throw that gasoline on the burning shed, but it's only going to make the problem worse. Sanctions are only going to be gasoline that we threw on the shed that is the Ukraine-Russian conflict. Same thing going on here with the, the environment. Any something that we do in order to rein back these corporations or to make the U.S. government do this or that or whatever is only going to make the problem worse because they're the ones who did it in the first place. So let's stop and be rational and actually come up with a working solution here instead of panicking and doing whatever just because we feel like otherwise we're doing nothing.
0: Yeah, I mean the only solution here uh, from a freedom perspective is persuasion. So if you've got a better idea about how things should be done, then you got to persuade people to come on board with it. Uh, because you can count on, as you pointed out, Greg, that the government is certainly not going to agree. They're going to be in the pockets of the mega corporations the whole while.
2: Well, the government is going to be very certain to tell you that they have a solution, mm-hmm. and they're going to ask you for the thing that you are most willing to give, which is your vote. Your vote is valueless. It is crap. And the idea that you're going to somehow solve a problem problem of the level of the pacific garbage patch and you know pollution and coral bleaching or any of any one of these problems the idea that you're going to solve that by voting for the right people (laughs) i mean it's ridiculous it is laughable and what you need to do if you actually care about garbage ladies and gentlemen should need to, to fund the organizations that are doing something now because if money goes by uh, behind those organizations then more money will come and more money will come because they'll be successful but just voting it's its a waste of time well
1: thank in you. Greg's defense I don't think he was arguing that we needed a vote no
0: he wasn't out of this. thank you Greg for the call I, I, tonight I do appreciate it uh, the number here is 603-283-6160 speaking of polluters the US military is of course one of the worst uh, polluters on the planet and now Mark's got a story that they are, there's a proposal for a trillion dollar budget for the U.S. military. We can talk about that coming up here in hour number three and of course your calls and thoughts are welcome on whatever is on your mind. The number six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live.
3: Free Talk
0: Live. Six zero three two eight three six one six zero. Six zero three two
1: eight three six one six zero. Did we drop the Rebels Ink song um, "Broken Man"? I don't think I drop it. it. Yeah, did we drop it from the rotators, or I mean the intro outro beds?
0: I don't have. To, I don't believe we did.
1: I just. I don't think I've heard it in a really long time. I could be mistaken.
0: Okay. But I,
1: I feel like it must be gone because I. Huh. I'm,
0: well, you have to remind me during one of the, the breaks. Yeah,
1: I just now thought about it like just now. I was like, I don't know this song, but I know it's Rebels, Inc. And then I was like, you know, I, Broken Man I know because uh, FUD covered it at Fork Fest like two, three years ago, mm-hmm. however long ago it was. So I know the song and I'm just like, I don't think I've heard it. But I was sitting okay. here wondering how whether or not I could figure out that song or whether or not it would be fun to figure it out. So and That okay.
0: one thought led to another. I just don't think I've heard it in a while. All right. Well, we'll have to take a look at it. Uh, let's see. The number here is 603-283-6160. It's Ian, Arya, and Mark here with you tonight. Let's go to your calls and thoughts, and then we'll get to Mark's story about the $1 trillion military budget. Sarah is on the line first here in – or not here, there oh, in New hey. Mexico. Go ahead, Sarah. Yes. yes. I
8: just want to – let you know that our city they're going to start booting people's cars with three unpaid speeding camera tickets so there's a whole bunch of people that are just ignoring it and not paying the fines
1: Mm -hmm. and this offends you as a law-abiding taxpayer
8: Well, I mean, the whole thing is that speeding kills uh, people because it causes accidents. Wait a minute.
0: Sarah, I thought you said the speeding cameras were going to stop people from speeding.
8: Well, I mean, the people are just tearing up the tickets. Now they have to boot the tires.
0: So what you're saying is the speeding cameras didn't work because they're still speeding. They're still getting tickets. And further, they're not even paying the tickets.
8: Well, that's a, that's a problem. That, see, it it would matter if they pay the tickets, but there's people that they don't want to have any credit scores because they, they don't want to buy a car. They don't need a loan for a house. so it, It's also probably true doesn't... that they
1: can't afford these tickets because most of the people who are actually getting tickets and not paying them, are it's because they don't have the extra $150 or whatever. So it's usually the poor people that are most affected by these. That's all a fine is. It, it's illegal for a price. It, well, okay. Right.
0: Yeah. Good. Well, I think a well, good example about- of that would be uh, I think the Al- the Apple founder Steve Jobs was known for driving in California with no license plate on his ca- his unregistered car, and he would just go around, and if he ever got caught, he'd just pay whatever the fine was for it, and kept driving around with uh, with no license plate on. So yeah, it really is all about how much money uh, that that you have. But Sarah, why can't you just admit that you were wrong? You said you've called about you've called this show for years and you've said the speeding mm-hmm. ticket cameras are necessary because it will stop people from speeding because you believe that having these cameras around right. would have a det- uh, you know deterrent effect and stop people from speeding now you are admitting that not only are they still speeding they're so they're actually turning their noses up at the tickets and tearing them up
8: Well, they use it for fire starter, chimney starters, or they wipe their nose with it during allergy seasons. That's what they do here. How do you know that? How do you know that's what they do? um, Well, you know, they always, I've talked to people that got the red light camera 15 years ago. And then all their friends told them, no, they told me to ignore it. Just don't pay it. You don't don't drive. So
1: have you seen someone actually blowing their nose with a speeding camera ticket?
8: No, I'm just saying they just use it for toilet paper. Have I mean, you seen someone using it for toilet Mexico. paper? Yeah, I mean, because look, at they're not paying it now. Only What they're going to have to do is they're going to have to boot their tires on City Street if they find them with three or more speeding camera tickets. That's the only way. The, the credit rating, hurting their points don't work because most of them, they don't even have a credit. They don't want a credit because they're not going to. Borrow money from anywhere. Well,
1: credit—the credit rating system also tends to disproportionately penalize people again for being
0: poor. But they uh, actually—hold on. Do, Do unpaid speeding tickets actually hit your credit
8: report? Right, but that's the only thing is it goes to the collection agency, oh. and if you have points, it'll show. Even if you go to payday loan or title loan, it'll show. Okay, well, and, and you, don't, you don't you don't need good credit interest. to
1: do a title loan or a payday loan, and if you have good credit, you're not going to do <laughs> right. a payday loan or a title loan. But Sarah, you realize that to enforce this, it requires cops constantly patrolling and scanning everyone's license plate to see how many parking tickets they have on file.
8: I have no idea what they're gonna do it. There's no other
1: way to there's it. no other way to enforce that except with more police out there disproportionately targeting minorities and people of color and LGBTQ people because she doesn't care about do. those
0: people. She doesn't care about the poor. She's now a wealthy well, person.
8: Also, uh, you can work it off. They're not even showing up and say that I'm gonna pay working it off. Forty hours a week, whatever they have. If You don't have money, I I'll, I'll pay I'll pay off the tickets. Would by you working. wanna work to pay pay. forty
1: hours? Would you wanna work, Sarah, to pay off a fine that well, you don't feel you deserve?
8: If I didn't have money. I, I would do that if I had a car and if I got a ticket. But you don't, I don't have, have a job you don't, don't have a car
1: because you don't want to work. But if work is for those other people, the ones who aren't as fortunate and privileged as you, right, Sarah?
8: Well I don't I don't know about but you know what, these tickets are for other states. It goes under credit. It goes on to the points and the driver's license. I don't it's think it goes credit. And then, and then also it does something else to your insurance. Your insurance rate goes up and your credit is shot. Okay, the other states, they do all this. I Unless you know can afford to pay the fine. If
1: you can afford to pay the fine, then you pay the fine, and none of those consequences well, happen to you. Aria, this is punishment for the poor. I'm not entirely
2: sure that, uh, how the, speeding, the, 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 the automated speeding tickets work, but I can say that if you continually get speeding tickets, it's definitely going to put points on your license and definitely going to affect your insurance rate to the point that you no longer can even – Get insurance, and you can, and it'll affect your driver's mm. license. Which sucks, but the poor people
1: it. who can't afford their speeding tickets, they can't afford an insurance either, and they're driving around uninsured. I, I'm thinking of people yeah. like my sister here, or just like anyone that I grew up in that went to high school with, or just people that I know all over the south who, they can't afford that two hundred dollars speeding ticket, and they damn sure can't afford the, the eighty dollars a month in insurance. So it's just another thing that they won't be able to afford. Because, say it with me now, Sarah. They're poor, and the system specifically targets them because it knows they're poor and can't defend themselves.
0: Thank you, Sarah, for the call tonight. Uh, The number here is 603-283-6160. Apparently, according to Experian, which is one of the credit uh, reporting bureaus, if a ticket is sent to collections, it absolutely can impact your credit. So Sarah was correct. Uh, wow. About that, which is again, uh, again, an attack on poor people because rich people will pay the ticket. Likely, yeah, they to probably won't even away. notice.
1: Oh, I got this seventy dollars ticket in the mail. Pay it, but to a poor person, that seventy dollars it represents, you know, fifteen hours of work or whatever.
0: This is another good reason why people should consider taking these tickets to court because if you take it to court then you've challenged it you're you're exercising your right to go to trial you've forced them to spend time and money trying to prosecute the case and uh, well i guess i should say at least in new hampshire where there's no extra penalty per se to uh, to generally take a ticket to court some places they'll charge you another 200 dollars just to go to court. So good lord, do do know what your own systems are, are like wherever you live, but in in New Hampshire, you know, you get found guilty, you still have to pay if it's a 15 dollar parking ticket, you still have to pay the 15 dollars, but you cannot pay it and you can do community service instead. So or you can sit it off in jail in New Hampshire at the rate of 150 dollars a day. But if you're doing community service or if you sit it off then it doesn't go to a credit bureau. It doesn't go to a collections agency because you've taken, you've quote unquote taken care of it uh, in that case. Go ahead, Mark.
2: Yeah. So um, when it comes to the, I think that the red light cameras are a step up in the sense that they're at least consistent. I think the number one way that you can, exp- uh, that, that, that makes it so obvious that, that speeding tickets are fundraising is that prior to red light cameras, you, what was your chance of getting a speeding ticket? If you sped every day, maybe one in 10,000? That's,
1: that's you significantly
2: teach... lower than it is for like a black man. I think this is the point oh, you that you're getting at. No, it's not the point that I'm um, trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is is that anyone, if they're a speeder, Is unlikely to get caught in a world where we don't have red light cameras, or excuse me, uh, speeding uh, speeding cameras. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the world of speeding cameras, then they just say, okay, so the speed limit's forty miles an hour, which is probably artificially low, and we'll set the machines for forty five and above. And it'll spit out, spit out a ticket and do whatever it does. And then consistently you will know that presumably this, uh, this device is in this place. If it stays there, if it's roving, then, you know, um, then we're back to the same problem again. But, you know, and about artificially low speeding tickets. Well, of course they make them low so that they can get revenue. Um, mm-hmm. It, Obviously, nobody wants to, you know, most people can handle a car very safely in most of these zones by going 10 miles an hour over. We've all done it, but I try to keep it low because I don't believe in voluntary taxes. I try to avoid that stuff. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing I think about speeding tickets is is they're probably better than what we currently have because of the the cameras? people can get used to them. You're talking about the cameras cameras are are better. better? Why would we want more tickets to be issued? I don't want more tickets. What I want is consistency. I want people to have to go the speed limit. Well, that doesn't. That it,
0: it doesn't work because people are still going to speed, so they're still going to get tickets. And what you're advocating for would be more tickets. Will be I'm hidden. not
2: advocating for anything. I'm saying it's better to be consistent than it is to be inconsistent. That's a dumb that if uh, perspective
0: going, to have because you're talking about punishing more people. For doing something that is a completely victimless act. And for only to, and for really only punishing the people who can't afford it.
2: So you're saying on private roads that we wouldn't have speed limits? I don't know what the private roads would do. Well, they'll, they'll have speed limits, I can assure you.
0: Good chance of it, but I don't know uh, if they'll How be How are they going to enforce them? I have no idea what they're going to do to enforce them.
2: That's up to probably them. One, probably one of the ways is something akin to a fine.
0: That doesn't make and any sense. They'd more likely just, you know, tell you you can't be on their road
2: or something like that. Or you can pay a little money to return to it, which okay. is what a speeding ticket is. I
1: Fine. guess I, I I don't necessarily agree, but and and I think it just as Ian points out, it just results in more tickets for more people, and that's only going. That's not going to affect the true. people. Well, well you, what I'm by saying definition is true. Is true. Everyone speeds every as you day. You said. get a ticket
2: by going 60 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. At some point, you'd think you'd learn. Did Steve Jobs ever put on a, a license plate? <laughs> Steve Jobs is a pretty poor example, and Ian didn't tell the story exactly right. Steve Jobs bought a new car every six months, so he legally didn't have to have a um, a license plate. And not everyone is whatever. going to get
1: a speeding ticket every single day. But yes, Mark, it's, it's a real thing that someone who's making you know $1,000 a week they're not going to be affected by paying you know, a $75 speeding ticket.
0: I don't want to live in a panopticon where there's a bunch of government-run cameras all over the place just because Mark wants ticketing
2: to be consistent. I mean, that's I what don't... we're talking about here. I'm telling you, first and primarily, is, is that speed limits ought to be the right speed, that they are artificially yeah, low. And the
0: market would be more likely to figure out what that right speed is than the government systems. Agreed. 100%. I don't see that any would be my speed point. limits. Let's go to the phones okay. here. David is on the line in New Mexico. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, David.
5: I got a question for Mark, but first of all, let me brag. I pay $10 a month for car insurance. And let me remind you that I once, uh, I I'd like to see anybody top this. Don't you have got... no windshield in your car? <laughs> Dude, we, we, were, we were playing around. The windshield was was out of my vehicle and I just drove it like that for a while, so oh, okay. I don't want to.
0: So you waste you any have a windshield that. again?
5: Yeah, it was okay. just a matter of the the wind. The, the wind in New Mexico is such that the wind literally blew the windshield out of my
0: truck. All right. So what and was your the, question for Mark?
5: Well, let me let me also because you're talking about it, I would remind you. I uh, I don't think anybody can top this. I once got uh, eliminated fourteen hundred uh, speeding camera tickets one afternoon by, by going to the mayor's office and complaining about a camera placement that was uh, what I considered uh, unfair, if not illegal.
1: David, um, I think you'll appreciate this. One of the things I wrote down here while Mark was talking, because I wanted to make sure to get around to it, is never underestimate the ability to stand in front of a judge and say, look, I simply can't pay this, and, and I can't afford the time off from work to do the community service.
2: I've done that. The, the U.S. court system is designed so that you can face your accuser, and if they don't have a picture of you driving the car, then how do they know that it was even you that was driving the car? Yeah, that's a good question. Most people right, probably yeah. just admit it.
5: Well, they, they, they have they have, passed, they have passed laws in most jurisdictions uh, saying that it doesn't matter who it is, if the car that you're responsible for the car, and if the car is photographed doing X, then if you if you can't supply the driver— then the owner is, is liable. But what I wanted to ask Mark was, um, I never got around to asking this, and since Ian and Mark are both present, Mark, do, do you recall the, the uh, online uh, brief discussion I had with you about my prediction for Ian's uh, trials? I don't. Okay, well, then I'll just I'll tell you, maybe you'll, you'll remember. I, I had uh, made the statement to you, and the if you look at your messaging, I'm sure it's still there. I think the conversation was on Telegram predicting the outcome, Exactly uh, of of Ian's trial and what I wanted that one I wanted to ask if you remembered that and, and and that then we'd have had a certain discussion but since you didn't remember it um, did, did did you ever have the two of you or anybody else ever have the discussion um, of the prediction that the outcome would be as it is?
2: I didn't. I would have never taken seriously the notion that Ian was going to be found guilty of. Uh, selling Bitcoin to an undercover agent when he refused to sell Bitcoin to an undercover agent. I would have just out of hand dismissed this notion. And I think that it's because the jury was just upset. Um, They didn't care about the law. They didn't care about that they were charged with reading the law. And they just decided we're going to find them guilty of everything.
5: Do you remember remember what you just said now is exactly what I said to you was going to happen. Exactly the way you laid it out is how I laid out to you Months in advance of his trial.
0: David, give me your address. I'll mail you a cookie, man. <laughs> this has all been him yeah. just patting himself on the back for thanks. Thanks for the call tonight. The, the number a that 283 6160 He was just patting himself on the back. He was, He's uh, often that way, yeah, right? Yeah, like it, it always
2: takes him a little while to get to wherever he's going.
0: Well, um, anyway, he had yeah. plenty of time. He did. I mean, he, he
1: patted himself on the back for one freaking thing after the yeah, other. And there was then, three
0: different pats. Then on the he back really
1: there. harped on this thing of, that no one else even remembers. I mean, it's cool if you make a prediction and you turn out to be right, but if you're the only one who even remembers your prediction, then who cares? I man? mean,
0: it's not. We oh. all knew what the facts in the case were, and that's why we were so skeptical that the jury could have done what it what it did. But if you just look at the numbers of convictions, it would be you know a relatively safe bet to say that somebody going to trial in a federal court is going to be found guilty on all of the counts that uh, that they're brought in front of but I wanted one
2: thing I could never figure out is is um, uh, you know let's say that 75% of people who go to federal uh, trial are found guilty does that mean that 75% of people who walk in uh, 25% walk out unconvicted of anything or does it mean that 75% of the charges Mm, are guilty and 25% aren't I don't know. know
0: And I think it's like 95% or something like that instead of 75%. As
1: I understood the 95% thing or the 98% thing, that includes people who took plea deals, whereas the actual going to trial thing is lower at like two-thirds or 75%. Really? Okay. Okay. If I remember correctly. I'd
2: say it's 99.98% of people who are charged um, end up with, uh, you know, guilty That would be my guess.
1: I I don't remember where I read it, but I, you know, when I was facing trial, I read some book about something and it pointed out that out of like 130,000 something cases that were prosecuted, like 17 of them actually went to trial Mm -hmm. and the rest were just plea deals. It's a broken system.
0: All right, Mark, uh, let's get into your story here. The $1 trillion military budget. Is this a done deal or is this what's coming down the road? This is a prediction.
2: This can't um, so be a coincidence
1: is- either. We have the possibility of printing a trillion-dollar coin. We have a trillion-dollar military budget. We can pay the, for the entire military by just creating this trillion-dollar coin. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right. What's the news, Mark? Um, from RollCall.com, we've got John uh, Donnelly reporting or analyzing analysis. The $1 trillion American defense budget is in sight. The U.S. government will spend that much on defense soon, maybe within just a couple of years if recent trends continue.
1: Honest military. The, government- the guy means honest military. Every time they say defense, they mean military.
2: You want me to use the word military instead of defense?
1: If you could, that would be great because I think it's more accurate, but I'm not going to harp on you. I just wanted to you know, let all the listeners out there know that when we talk about, quote, American defense, finger quotes, we actually mean the American military because mm-hmm. nothing the American military has done in my entire lifetime was defensive.
0: Oh, they shot
1: down the balloon. Okay, yes. Right. They, they achieved yeah. sort of the same thing. More. A redneck like with a shotgun. Yeah, a that,
0: redneck with a shotgun could have done the same thing. After waiting for the balloon to traverse the entirety of North America, they then <laughs> shot it down.
2: With a multi-million dollar missile. Yeah. But they did it. Um...
0: See, I, well, my apologies with to the author of this, yeah.
2: but I think Ari is right. Indeed.
0: All right. So they're predicting this uh, is in sight, you say?
2: Yeah. The U.S. government is spending just 3% of America's gross domestic product on defense. Yeah, Pentagon wild. controller Mike McCord reports uh, on Monday about half of the U- share of the U.S. wealth that the Defense got during the, excuse me, military got during the Reagan presidency and a far cry from the roughly one third of GDP expended on defense during World War II.
0: So they're actually saying that by portion of the percentage
2: of GDP, military spending's down. Well, from World War II. No, it's up. No, from, I thought they said it's it was one, half. It was one third of GDP versus three percent of GDP.
1: One third is higher than three percent. It's
2: three percent now, dude. Right. Yeah, 3% is significantly lower than one-third. So yes. when was it one-third? World War Two. During World War Two.
0: And when was it? Uh, what was it during Reagan? It was twice what it currently is, right? 6%.
2: About half of the share of U.S. wealth that the military got during the Reagan presidency. Right. So 3% is half of it. So they're saying it's going so it's down. It is going down. By but, the share. Um, The GDP is going up and up, and it's reported differently than it used to be, too. So sure. So the number's going
0: up, but the percentage of GDP is down well, uh, that so just con- means the, the banks
1: out there in the economy are inflating the currency more than ever. So now the conservatives— Well, that's what can, I mean. That's but,
2: that's the point that I'm trying to get out of this is that you can expect this trillion-dollar budget very, very soon mm-hmm. because a trillion dollars ain't what it used to be.
0: Right. Well, now the conservatives can pat themselves on the back and say that the, they're making the military smaller by making it larger.
2: I mean, it doesn't even matter.
1: <laughs> what Trillion-dollar budget, $800 billion dollar budget. I mean, these numbers are so large— yeah. They have no meaning to me. Well, they
0: can build a few more bases around the world, uh, maybe near China to rattle the sabres some more to possibly go to World War Three with the extra two hundred billion dollars. War is good for the economy, they say. No, it's not. No, they they, 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 they lie. there's no
2: evidence of that. So um, you know, if the people that think that war is good for the economy ought to go out into their front yard and hit their windshields with a baseball bat.
0: <laughs> that's a great point.
2: Because that's yeah. good for the that's good for the economy of the people who make windshields. Yeah. So, um, you know, wars kill people and break things. Yeah. And other than that, they're not really good for it. They're good for the military industrial complex, who is a large part of the United States government. Um, the behind the scenes, the nefarious behind the scenes government. Anyway, let me go on here. Still before Hold acknowledge. Hold, hold that thought. Hold
0: uh, that thought. The number here is 603-283-6160. That is a trillion dollars that if actually left in the hands of the people of America, could do good things for the economy. But that trillion dollars will be put into things like bombs and tanks and other things that are completely destructive and a, uh, a negative drain on the economy. There's more coming up here in moments. You can join the show. This is Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, phones are open we got time for you if you want to join the show the number is 603-283-6160 that's 603-283-6160 I want to say thank you to it's either mrt or mr t it's all three letters together so can't say for sure but uh, we'll go with mr t Thank you, Mr. T, for uh, supporting the AMPS program over at amps.freetalklive.com. AMPS.freetalklive.com is where you can go to get signed up. And uh, Mr. T is doing it for uh, silver level, which is five bucks a month. That's what we ask for. It helps us to get the word out about the ideas of liberty and peace and ending, you know, warmongering. Things that we talk about pretty regularly here on broadcast radio and online. You can go to amps.freetalklive.com to get signed up there. That's a m p s As we go back here to the phones, we're talking about Mark's got a story about a trillion dollar budget for the U.S. military that's on the horizon at this point, point. like it's it's almost inevitable. They're at a. By the way, according to Wikipedia, over eight hundred forty two billion dollars is the proposed budget for 2024 and they keep printing money at the rate they're printing money it's going to be like 2025 or 2026 or something like that before it hits a trillion but let's bring peakless mountaineer on the line here calling from our very own new hampshire go ahead peakless
9: yeah so we recently had this uh uh, rage to end the war machine rally yeah now that was not just the libertarian party but also the people's party which is uh uh, on the left, but uh, very upset with uh, with what's been going on, not only with the Democratic Party but with the Green Party. Now, obviously, this is a, a really a really popular idea to stop going to war. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when I brought up the topic uh, very briefly, you'd said, "Well, the Libertarian Party is the anti-war party," uh, but the Libertarian Party is also the war, the party of uh, uh, legalizing all drugs and yes. legalizing all guns and just a whole lot of other, you know, very polarizing issues. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to uh, proffer as a possibility is that at least temporarily these people could all come together and create the anti-war party.
0: Well, I suppose they could. The odds that you can get... People with such differing views to come together, put aside those differences and somehow, you know, run a candidate and get behind that candidate when, you know, when you're talking about the, the so-called people's party. Uh, we didn't really have a chance to dissect them too much, as much as I, I kind of wanted to, and we just never got around to it, uh, what their platform was. But they're another leftist party. They're calling for socialism, basically, on all the other issues. I don't think most libertarians would be able to get behind a candidate... Uh, That is calling for their enslavement just to simply support that candidate on the one issue of anti-war. And similarly, I suspect the people that support socialism would would find it very difficult to get behind a libertarian party uh, or a libertarian candidate who wants to uh, liberate people (laughs) instead of enslave them further and also end war. It it seems
2: uh, politically unfeasible. Well, uh, well list, hey. I'd like to address this. Um, so, sure. I have made the oath that if I'm going to vote for president, I'm going to vote for one that will that has pledged to end in the wars, end most wars, or at the very least just kill fewer people than the one that's in there now. So I choose so Donald to, Trump. I, well, I choose I choose to vote for the person who appears to be most likely, in my opinion, to Uh, get in the office and kill the uh, the fewest amount of people. And I believe that as the commander-in-chief, this is the number one job of the president. So I would be prepared to vote for the candidate from this party. Now, I agree with Ian. It's going to be very difficult to get together these groups. But if it's possible, I would encourage them to do it. Put aside whatever the other differences are, and let's just have four years without foreign intervention.
1: Yeah, I don't see it yep. happening. And you know, as much as as yep. good as it sounds, I don't see any benefit in having a new third party to try to do what previous third parties have failed to do. I mean, we already have a front runner here that is the Libertarian Party. So let the communists, you know, pinch their noses and come vote for the Libertarian for four years of non-intervention. And of course, Libertarians are going to. Communists will say the same thing. We'll let the Libertarians come pick the pinch their nose and come vote for our guy for four years of non-interventionism. No one is going to do it. And we're not going to make any ground toward a third party, I don't think.
0: Well, the system's designed to stop ground from being made toward that third yes. party. So ultimately what you'd end up doing is you'd have both of these parties going to a convention together, arguing over a bunch of uh, you know stuff they're never going to agree on, maybe nominating a candidate, and then fighting over you know whether—it would just be so hard to get that person on the ballot because I'll tell you right, right now— I am not interested in even as principled as libertarians may have may be on the anti-war issue. I'm just, it's hard for me to imagine like getting excited by a libertarian party presidential candidate, even one who's an actual libertarian, because I'm just not excited by anything happening at the, the national level at all. So like the idea that it would become a communist would make me even less interested in lifting a finger to, uh, to help that person.
9: Well, so, uh, To address your first concern, yeah, you would definitely need to pick someone who is neither uh, uh, primarily a libertarian nor a communist. You would need to, to get together to pick someone that their whole focus is just on ending war. But
0: they have other beliefs. They're not going to be able sure, to run a political campaign I mean, and say, well, you can't ask me about my belief on abortion. You can't ask me about my belief on the war on drugs. You can't ask me about my belief on you know these other issues. I'm only going to comment on uh, the military war.
9: Well, so number one, we know that it is possible to get these groups to work together for this end. The, the rally showed that. Now, if you if you have sufficient will to do so, at the very least, this will make this a major topic of conversation throughout the country. No, it won't. And I mean, there are a lot of people. There's no who, one talking about third
0: parties.
1: And war wasn't mentioned at any point in the 2020 election. I mean, look,
0: election. I watched uh, some of the video. Listen, I listened to most of the audio, but I watched. I did watch and see some of the photos of this uh, war rally that or anti-war rally you're talking about. The Rage Against the War Machine. It was about a month ago in dc and it wasn't a big rally it was maybe like a few thousand people on the scale of washington dc rallies this was a small rally it wasn't no one like there were some people there and i'm glad for the people that were able to make it out and and good for the folks that felt like it was worth traveling i know uh reed coverdale did go down for that particular event, but it wasn't like they blew the doors off the, you know, the DC government uh, or got any kind of media attention outside of Russia today. And this show.
9: But it but it still demonstrates that it can be done. And the fact that sure. they managed to get this thing together when uh, frankly a lot of our ideas are completely disgusting to each other. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we can come together and agree that at least this is worth holding our nose for and going, you know what, all of our other stuff we can hold off on for a moment until we get this thing done.
1: Now, there's a huge difference between attending a war rally that is half put on by the Communist Party and voting for a a communist for president. There's a world of difference between the two things. I don't think yeah, you're not voting well,
9: for, for Bernie Sanders. someone who's basically I moderate will. but anti-war. There's bound to be someone out there that's up to the task.
2: I will vote for uh, Bernie Sanders if he's the choice that I think is going to kill the least amount of people. Even if there's a great libertarian on the ballot that supports the war machine, I, I a couldn't libertarian vote for
0: Doesn't it. support the war machine by fine. Definition. I get it.
2: You want to pull everybody's membership card who's not you? I don't care. What I'm saying I mean, is, I've I'm seen creating a hypothetical. Disagree on issues, Has there ever around. been a libertarian candidate that supported war? Bob Barr. I don't think he did. Well. Uh, he, he certainly supported the war on drugs while he was in office as a Republican.
0: Yeah, but he changed his mind on the war on drugs, or at least so he claimed. Look, I wasn't a fan of, of Bob Barr either, but you don't get to be a libertarian candidate and support war. You're never going to get the nomination.
2: All I'm saying is, is that I would vote for anybody that I thought was going to end uh, you know, violence perpetrated on innocent people. But they're going to use
0: violence against you. They're going to turn the violence against the United States, the people. In uh, North America, they're going to turn the uh, war on drugs, or whatever you know, whatever their pet programs are that they want to shove down people's throats.
9: Right. So you're willing to accept Bob Barr saying that he's no longer wanting to prosecute a war on drugs, but you're not willing to accept this person saying, you know what? I don't care about that stuff until we get the war ended. No,
0: I didn't support Bob Barr actually. I didn't even vote for him. ending the wars would take half a day at most
1: to to sign the paperwork and you know give out the commands for all the militaries to withdraw. What is he going to do for the other you know 364 days of the year and then the other I, three I years?
9: Think are, I think you are strongly overestimating the difficulty of it.
0: I mean Biden just pulled out of Afghanistan and I mean a lot of you people- saw what that did that certainly didn't end violence. It perpetrated it. Well, it's not being perpetrated against uh, the military right now in Afghanistan because they're gone.
9: Yeah, and it's the only time that the media has ever turned on Biden until so now. at that least they he don't did want it. Him to run again.
0: At least he did it. I mean, Trump got the ball rolling on that one, and Biden finished the job. Good for them. The one, you know, one of the right, right. things so those guys did.
9: Eight years to end one war. Eight years to end one war. So this isn't easy. No, it is. You just have to not care about the political consequences.
1: The fact that it took five years to end Vietnam doesn't mean Vietnam was difficult to end. It just meant we had cowards who were unwilling to do it.
2: Right. Well, it might just mean that you get assassinated. I mean, let's not forget that the the military-industrial complex is no stranger to uh, regime change. Fair point. Sure.
9: Yeah, so I mean— As you pointed out, it's going to be extremely difficult to get someone to the office of president. But number one, you can at least use it as a platform to bring up the topic when, as you pointed out, in 2022, it wasn't brought up at all. And number two, you can at least get someone in some level of power who will at least, you know, do something like uh, support the defend the guard uh, uh, actions.
0: But you're not going Peakless, to. You're talking about a third party. The system is designed to make sure that they're completely muted, completely useless. They're never going to get to anywhere.
2: Peakless, I, um, you know, I kind of got when I sort of left Free Talk Live and uh, left the United States. The reason was is because in part I feel like there's just nothing I can do. And when we start talking about voting, it really drives that point home to me. I can vote or I could not vote. And the bastards still get in and I can pay the tax or I can not pay the tax and the bastards still get in. I've been living on cryptocurrency for a long time in order to avoid uh, tax and as best I can in a legal fashion. But, you know, at some point or another, it still sneaks around and gets you. And ultimately talking about for whom we might vote, it's not really going to be a solution to much of anything. I, I feel, I mean, I, I like the idea and I would vote for whatever candidate was proffered by this party. But, you know, I wouldn't have any hope.
9: Well, it strikes me as a, a way that what uh, political capital does exist for third parties, which admittedly not great, yeah. but. What political capital does exist could be put towards something that is tremendously popular among the vast majority of people, and especially right now when people on both sides of the aisle are not especially happy with their parties. Well, it's
1: not a popular message, though. We covered this during the beginning of the break. Uh, I mean, during the beginning of the show, only like fifty-six percent of Republicans still support the war in Iraq right now, and, and that's been a monumental failure. And the vast majority of Democrats and Republicans alike are firmly standing with Ukraine right now. I don't know what the percentages are, but I would bet that most Republicans and Democrats would support a a military conflict against Russia in defense of Ukraine.
9: Well, I mean, if you look at, at how the sentiment has changed at the wars that we're actually in, I mean, it has been against them for a number of years at this point. But I think everyone feels about as powerless as Mark does in that.
0: Story from uh, Gallup News posted February of this year. uh, Nearly a year into the war between Russia and Ukraine, America's support for Ukraine holds steady. A stable 65% of U.S. adults prefer the United States support Ukraine in reclaiming its territory, even if that results in a prolonged conflict. Meanwhile, 31% say they would rather see the U.S. work to end the war quickly, even if this allows Russia to keep its territory. So it has gone from... 66 percent supporting in august of uh last year to 65 percent so basically statistically no change
2: yeah i think that well, um when it comes to these situations i do think that peace is a good message the public likes but it, then it it's like yeah i'll take peace except when there's a really good reason like so for instance the syrian hitler. war putin's hitler yeah. <laughs> is and here That's the narrative uh, that goes on. And, you know, it's it's good enough if the if the if if the media tells me that that missile that hit Poland was from Russia, then, by God, let's nuke them. And then you find out a day later, oh, it was a Ukrainian missile missile? Who are we going to nuke now? Um, You know, this kind of situation is very difficult, but I, I think that the Clintons were right. It's the economy, stupid, which is to say that um, Americans care far more about domestic issues when electing a president, the commander in chief, the one the one power that the president truly has is the power over the military that they want that guy to say the things they want him to say about the domestic issues over which he has comparatively little control. And that's what they're going to vote him vote in for whatever that reason is. So I uh, as much as i like the idea peakless i just i don't think it's got legs and i think people like you and i have to figure out systems to get around this
0: the way around any kind of national action is to make new hampshire a nation again that if you're going to oh, spend God. time on what is considered to be a difficult task i would rather spend it on the task that actually has in my opinion you've got a better chance at getting new hampshire to secede from the united states In your lifetime than you do ever seeing a libertarian or some, you know, commie libertarian joint party elected at the national level. I I don't. I wouldn't
2: want to choose between those two remote possibilities. But I know that if you go buy a ticket right now to Honduras to Morazon City, you will be in the freest place on the planet. Guaranteed. (laughs) They just had a conference. Uh,
1: Okay, that's all well and good. Right. But. That's beyond the capabilities and we're gonna go back to this conversation that we've had before. But
2: now we're talking about likelihood. You were just talking about New Hampshire seceding. I the mean, likelihood of Hampshire a person having,
1: Mark, the likelihood of a person having the money to just pick up and move to Morrison secession in New Hampshire is more likely, I think. No, it's not. I well, mean, that, Yes, but you're notoriously out of with touch with the average of, person. N-
0: New Hampshire is within reach of uh, the average person who just wants to come somewhere and make a better life for themselves and get a job working somewhere or whatever or start their own business. Morazon.city, you basically have to have a remote working ability. You have to be some kind of uh, digital nomad or wealthy person. Uh, you know, you're not going to go there and, and get a waiting job.
2: No, you're not. You're you're absolutely right on that. Um, and I would recommend that if you don't have the money to move to, um, you know, for this kind of employment, then don't move. I mean, by God, you have better roots wherever you are. Well, then you better do something
0: else. And so that's something else for libertarians is. I would say do not spend your time arguing with communists at some sort of convention trying to determine who the feudal party nominee is going to be to run in some election that's never going to get us anywhere. Dude, have you
1: seen communists at a convention?
0: No, I don't want to. (laughs) But that's great. It is painful, dude. Have you? you
1: Only because someone took parts of the Communist Party convention from last year, 2020, some year, Mm -hmm. and they superimposed it onto South Park characters. Really, and it's it's a really entertaining five to six minutes, and it's just it's. Is it worse than the Libertarian Convention? Oh, significantly because so, bad. because it's like point of order. Can can the people back there? I have autism. Please refrain are you sure from this making all of the libertar- these. You sure this wasn't the Libertarian <laughs> I'm sure. Convention? I'm quite sure. All right. It it, it was almost as obnoxious. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pull this one up. Yeah, it's good. I don't Communist know. Party South Park. You you'll find it. It's great. Highly worth watching, and it's painful.
0: To watch, I mean, it's painful to go to any political. I can only convention. imagine what it was
9: like to be there, man.
0: Hey, uh, any other thoughts, uh, Peakless?
9: Oh, um, yeah. Just a, a quick correction on the uh, the uh, new program that they uh, set to fix the banks. Um, I, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was because it's only going to apply to uh, those uh, uh, the, the toxic assets that were uh, bought before the twelfth of March.
0: I'm not sure so, which program you're referring to.
9: Oh, it's the uh, BTFP. Um, it's to make sure that what happened to uh, Silicon Valley Bank doesn't happen to any other bank. Oh,
0: this is the $2 trillion uh, potential bailout for any other failing yeah, which, banks.
9: Which is a, a completely nonsensical number, but um, it's like, well, the big fives would never need to do this, which you don't know. But if all the other ones did need to do this, which seems extremely unlikely, uh but yeah. Uh, anyway, it you're only saying the bailout out would only
0: apply was, for bonds they bought before. You said March.
9: Uh, before March 12th,
1: and wouldn't that so be almost the, all of the bonds that they bought?
9: Yeah, but it uh, it doesn't mean it's a. Uh, so I thought this was going to be a continuing thing that uh, would just fundamentally shift the the nature of our, our entire system. Uh, but it's if it only. Uh, applies to the things bought before that date, and at least it has a, uh, a a built-in end to it. Well, they
0: could always change that.
9: Yeah, so that is definitely something to watch out for, because that would be catastrophic.
0: All right, brother, thanks for the call tonight, man. I, I appreciate hearing from you. Let's go to this caller. Caller, you're on Free Talk Live. What's your name? Hey, it's Tim from Florida. Tim, you're on the air. Go mm-hmm. ahead.
9: Yeah, I have a uh, quick question for Mark, and then I'm going to drop off the line uh, due to the time because I'd I'd like to hear his answer. Um, Mark, uh, I I heard you mention that you've been living uh, using crypto, and my question for you would be, would you recommend or not recommend buying crypto from a centralized exchange like Coinbase?
2: Uh, First, I, like Aria, uh, recommend buying crypto. It doesn't particularly matter to me how you get it. Now I can see the value in having crypto that is, um, you know, not white labeled or black labeled having crypto that, you know, they, they don't know where it came from and more and more, the central banks are tracking crypto just to see, you know, where you got it from and, and that sort of thing. So I can, I can see the value in it, but most importantly, I think get it and, and, obviously pay as little as you possibly can to get it uh, you know if you're paying 10% i got a question whether that's a good idea or not
0: well i mean it could go up t- he just dropped off the line which is why i didn't respond yeah. um if you're paying 10% and it goes up 20% then it was a good idea uh i mean for some people they say 10% is worth it if it protects their anonymity i know the us Prosecutors don't believe that those people exist, but we had one of them call the show the other night. Who went to Agoradesk. dot uh, com, aka Local Monero, and he was more than happy to pay ten percent. He said some of the, the sellers on there wanted like thirty or forty percent, uh, but he said ten percent was what he felt a good good deal to preserve his privacy in that particular case. So yeah, there is a and price to pay have for that.
1: I've got yeah. blackout curtains on my windows. I don't want people staring in at me all the time. I can't imagine why anyone I don't want them staring into my finances either. So I understand why someone would pay extra for being remaining anonymous. It's appropriate though. That- I see
2: why they would, too. I just don't know um, personally. I mean, I see that they could and that sort of thing. He asked me what my recommendation is. My recommendation is to get crypto and to pay as little as you can for it. And I find the notion of paying 10 percent to be abhorrent.
1: Well, you don't generally have to deal with ten percent from the from the centralized exchanges that the color was nope. specifically asking about. No, that would
2: be like a tenth of a percent yeah.
0: or a yeah. quarter of a percent. Usually, or something.
1: Get pretty good rates from them. Usually, you, yep. using a debit card, you are going to get the worst rates, and that's probably how most people are going to buy.
0: But then they're also, it's all on the record, so yep. there's that. Um, it's appropriate that we've got the complete reverse poll now to wrap out the show, and we talked earlier tonight about how Americans have shifted their views on the Iraq war and now realize 6 uh, out of 10, roughly, Americans saying that the Iraq war was a mistake. 20 years later. 20 years later, and yet here are the numbers about the Ukraine conflict. Just a, We already talked about how 66% or 65% of Americans support ukraine reclaiming territory even if it prolongs the conflict uh but they broke it down actually by of course uh political demographics so you know, it
1: occurs to me that the reason the republican number is probably so high and in, in regard to iraq mm-hmm. and why so few people seem to be against the is they probably think the war is over and but mm, they understood yeah. i think that the war was still ongoing and american troops were still there and they couldn't leave without destabilizing the region I think that was shift. them. was like, oh, yes, this was definitely not worth it.
0: Maybe. But as we found out, more Republicans support the Iraq war still to this day than Democrats. And the reverse is true of Ukraine, of course, with 81 uh, percent of Democrats saying they support Ukraine reclaiming ter- territory, even if it prolongs the conflict. Fifty nine percent of independents and 53 percent of Republicans. So the reverse, basically, of what the op- opinion was when uh, the U.S. went to war in Iraq.
1: Insane. And yeah. Republicans become the anti-war party
0: in that scenario. Which we all know is complete BS. Because
1: yeah, I mean, still 50% of them want the war.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. Out of time for tonight. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Aria. Back tomorrow you can join us online. In the meantime, over at freetalklive.com. Don't forget our social media platform at social.freetalklive.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Some of you have wanted to support Freetalk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top. So it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Freetalk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today.